0: to the Ricks I've been thinking. What's this show all about? Well, it's all in the title. He enjoys interviewing people about issues that he finds interesting, and which cause him to sit back and think. Cryptocurrency. True crime. Natural law. The occult. No topic is off limits here. He has always enjoyed when people give their points of view or thoughts on different topics that they have researched. And what makes it all great is that it's their unique take on what is being discussed. For that reason alone, it makes it interesting to him. So take that walk down to his crypt. Make yourself comfortable. And just maybe, he will be discussing a topic that you have been thinking about. Here's your host, Crypt Rick. This is Thomas, a.k.a. a Mad Painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. You opposed government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here.
1: This is the people's
0: war. It is our war. We are the fighters.
1: Fight it, then. Fight it with all that is in us.
0: And may God defend the right. Warning! Warning! They're going to stop us! They're going to kill us all! See how the trouble you've started? Be they the government, be they industry, be they organized labor, be they anyone where you would be! when the operation of the machine becomes so oriented, makes you so sick at heart! You can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to put your bodies upon the gears and upon the wheels, upon the levers, upon all the apparatus. And you've got to make it stop. And you've got to indicate to the people who run it and the people who own it, that unless you're free, the machine will be prevented from working at all. Revolution Radio of FreedomSlips.com, the number one listener-supported talk radio station, throwing ourselves upon the gears of the machine. Revolution Radio, where information never
1: sleeps. You called down the thunder, well now you've got it. Right, you tell
0: The Crypt I've Been Thinking What's this show all about? Well it's all in the title He enjoys interviewing people About issues that he finds interesting And which cause him to sit back and think Cryptocurrency True crime Natural law The occult No topic is off limits here he has always enjoyed when people give their points of view or thoughts on different topics that they have researched. And what makes it all great is that it's their unique take on what is being discussed. For that reason alone, it makes it interesting to him. So take that walk down to his crypt. Make yourself comfortable. And just maybe, he will be discussing a topic that you have been thinking about. Here's your host, Crypt Crypt Rick.
2: Well, I'd like to welcome everybody back here to my crypt for another episode of Crypt Ricks I've been thinking. And just before I get started, I just wanna let everyone know that Radio Revolution Radio, it is listener supported. So don't forget you guys are all you listeners are what makes this happen and we need your support. So I mean definitely show your support, go to the donation page and do what you can because that will ensure you guys are getting amazing uh, content by a lot of amazing creators on here, and it's going to keep this whole thing going. And that's what we need you guys for. It's it's all about you guys, man. You guys are the ones listening and enjoying it. So definitely please uh, do what you can and check that out. And with that said, I just want to let everyone know it is – hopefully my connection stays good and strong tonight. We Here up in Canada, we have definitely got uh, snowed on big time in the last, like, uh day and a half we've probably got about two and a half where i live about two and a half feet where i live and it's still going so hopefully the internet's going to stay with me i apologize if anything does crash on me or anything like that but it seems to be doing good so that is perfect i'm glad to see that but to get to my guest i just have to say i have an amazing guest somebody i'm very very excited to talk to this evening uh just when you start getting into this you're going to see it's a crazy story that we're going to be getting into and my guest, just to give you a little background, he's an ex-police officer, uh, bail he was a bail bondsman, a private investigator, a bounty hunter, and now definitely an author. And he wrote the book basically called Ultimate Prey, and it's the true story behind the Yosemite sightseer murders. And I tell you, up until recently, I didn't even really know about the Yosemite sightseer mur- uh, murders. I It was something that I never came upon my radar, and I remember uh, – talking to Greg his Jr., and he was the one that introduced me to this gentleman, and we got talking, and then I learned all about his book and his amazing life story and how this all came about. So I'm really looking forward to having him uh, tell us about all this story. So I just want to take the time to welcome you to the crypt. Are you there, Stephen Zanziri? I would love to welcome you here, and uh, I'm looking really forward to talking to you tonight. Hello Rick. Thank you very much. How, how am I sounding? You sound great there. You're a little hot, but now you—if you if you you sound good now. A little bit perfect now.
3: Fantastic. How are you doing? You're doing well. I'm doing well. It's sunny in San Diego. Oh,
2: I, I'm so jealous right now. We're getting snowed. <laughs> as I said at the beginning, we're getting snowed on here uh, like crazy. Probably like two and a half feet, and it's still going. So, you know, I, I'm definitely envious that you're out in the sun right now.
3: Yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah. So, we're going to talk about the book
2: and the Yosemite case today. For sure. I mean, and I'm, as I was saying uh, at the beginning, I, I didn't uh, – the Yosemite sites here, murders, murders were something that – I and I'm usually pretty up to a lot of the stuff that's going on. But this one went – I definitely, to be honest, went under my radar. I didn't hear anything about it. And then when we were uh, doing a roundtable with Greg Fernandez Jr., who will be joining us in the second hour – Uh, of the show he does he definitely wanted to come on because he has a lot of questions for you about your book and he wanted to ask those for you so i thought that would be great but he introduced us and we got talking and you told me about your book and you told me like some stuff about your life and i've already interviewed you where we cover the you know your earlier days and all that stuff so definitely check out that interview that is going to be on my youtube channel Crip ricks i've been thinking and you'll hear that interview that i do we're going to be doing a two-part interview with steven uh to get through all of this because this book is amazing and once i i started reading it i couldn't put it down uh i finished it in like a day and a half which is really unlikely for me i'm not usually that quick at reading a book but it was so good so i definitely yeah i want to cover this with you and where it it started so this all started can you kind of let everyone know how you got involved in this and how it all started for you
3: um, you know, I left the police department in Foster City, California in, in 1989. I had a Gold's Gym, and I sold that. And I moved up to the Lode of California to a little town named Arnold. It was it was wonderful. And uh, got into the country club business for a couple of years. And I met a bail bondsman up in the area, and I ended up working for him. And that was about 1994. Uh, from there, I opened my own bail bond business. And, um, you know, we bail guys out and some guys jump bond and such. And it all started with a guy named Paul Candler. And uh, I bailed him out in November of 1998. And, um, you know, time went on. And uh, coming toward uh, the end of the year in December of '98, he jumps uh, bond on me. Wow. Wow. So, um, you know, the chase is on and I didn't think much about it. Uh, and then come um, February of 1999, uh, there's three women missing up in Yosemite. Right, Beautiful right. Kinds, mm-hmm. You know, sanctuary and such. Um, you know, no rhyme or reason. Um, the family, you know, they checked in. There was, you know, it was Carol Sund, her daughter, Julie son, and a friend from Argentina named Silvina Peloso. And uh, Carol uh, and the girls went to um, – a UOP, University of Pacific, in Stockton, where Julie was going to attend college, and these family, the family's from Eureka, California, okay. very prominent family, and it, the, the name is the Carringtons. That's the the surname of the father and such. And um, it started hitting the news that these three women were missing out of Yosemite. Uh, you know, they couldn't. Those roads are really bad up there, Rick. I mean, one little turn, and you're, you know, you're off a cliff. It snows up that way and such. Right, and
2: that's what, that's
3: kind of what I remember
2: is that. Um, so what you're like, I kind of remember in the book, that it's like it's not uncommon for people to go missing in this area, and I think probably at the beginning, that's what they probably thought, right? The authorities probably thought that they either got lost off a trail, or they fell off the skidded off the road, or something like that. Am I correct when I'm thinking that?
3: Oh, absolutely, yeah. It was one of the largest search and rescue uh, operations in, in Northern California in 20 years. Uh, you know, multi-agency and such, but they they couldn't find the girls. Uh, Anyway, and and the kidnapping occurred, I should say the kidnapping murders occurred. um, It was Valentine's weekend, which is kind of ironic. And um, uh, January 17th, three days later, the the husband, Jen's son, um, the father, the the husband and um, uh, father of uh, Julie's son uh, reported them missing, and that's when the search started. All right. All, right. All right. That's okay. Yeah. That's what I definitely, re- yeah. And that, so that's when
2: the search started. Now, how long, like, how long, like, I, I know it was from what I can tell in the book and from what I've read. It was a really, it was a very big search. Now, how long before they when they till they finally found the bodies and stuff like that? Like, what was, how, about how long ago from the time that they went missing till they actually figured out what happened in these murders, that it was murders that happened and they didn't. Get lost or fall off a trail or you know anything like that.
3: Um, you know, as soon as they thought it might be foul play, they they started. You know, the FBI went in there. There was a reward offered by Mr. Carrington. Uh, right for two hundred.
2: Right. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand. I thought that's that's a big reward in, from what I can understand for that. Like definitely two hundred fifty thousand dollars.
3: It is. I spoke with Mr. Carrington because I, I actually ended up. Uh, befriending the family and taking the case. Uh, and I took it for free too. I didn't charge the family a dime. My attitude when three women are, are missing or murdered, there's no rule. So he offered the reward and such. But, um, they found, uh, Carol's son's wallet in Modesto in the, you know, late February. Modesto is, oh, an hour and a half from Yosemite. So it was kind of, uh, you know, unusual. What were they doing in, in, in Modesto, you know? And um that's when it really the 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 um manhunt or the search for the women um and they definitely suspected foul play at that time, that's when it really ramped up.
2: Right. Yeah, yeah. that 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 that's the one thing that, that uh like now from that I was reading in the book and then I it's like it's kind of uh it's a it's a to me this is such a sad story the more you get into your book. Like it like you really walk through and it, it's also really surprising to me, how all the crazy turns that happen in this book. Like, it's really how, like, you kind of stumbled into this. Like, it, like you know, somebody jumps Bond, or, and then you're on the hunt for them, and then it's kind of leading you into all of this. And so after, so how did they, uh, so the word, they figure out there's foul play. Now, what, did, what was the police's, uh, how long did they, I know that they found uh, two of the bodies in a, in a car, right? They were looking for... I think it was a red Pontiac. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm wrong anywhere, Stephen, please correct me because, I, like I said, sure. I've only read the book once, and I'm trying to remember everything. So, But I do remember that they did find two of the bodies in the trunk of a car, and they were really badly uh, burned,
3: if I'm correct. Is that correct? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was a red Pontiac. And they, they, the car was discovered by a guy named Jim Porter, who had been hiking up uh, on the Tuolumne County uh, side, and even the, the, from Yosemite to that side, still a few hours. Um, the, uh, burned out car was, was found on March 18th, 1999. So now they know they had a homicide. It was located off Highway 108 by Longbourn, um, in a very rural area. You'd have to know the area to, to dump a car like that and such. And, uh, days, a few days later, they identified the bodies of Carol's son and Silvina Peloso. Uh, they'd been burned very badly. The car was totally torched. And so they found the, um, the, the, the vehicle. Now they knew they had a homicide, um, and it's interesting because the guy that I bailed out that I eventually became the suspect in this case, um, I, I received the bail forfeiture for on March 19th that he had, uh, uh, jumped on and, and he was on his way somewhere. Um, and then on March 25th, they found Julie's body located up off of Highway 49 near a little, little, little tiny, tiny bitty town called Moccasin, uh, right above Lake Don Pedro. So when they found Julie's body, uh, her head, sorry to say is, uh, was was partially decapitated so now they had a, 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 a huge manhunt you know they have three three um, you know savagely murdered women and no suspects wow. so so no, no
2: no suspects so how did so after they discovered the bodies what was what was um i'm trying to think of how they would like how did they go about that after that like did like how long till they did have some suspects and Stuff like, like, that's what I'm trying to, like, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to think of, I'm trying to go and kind of keep it in uh, order from what I remember in the book. You know what I mean? Like, I just know that, like, there's so much to cover. It's like, you guys definitely got to read this book. Definitely pick up Ultimate Prey by Stephen Sanzeri because it is a book that's going to have you turning page after page. And it's just so much. And like I was saying to Stephen at the beginning of the show, it's, this should be a movie. It's that crazy what goes on here so after they so let's go to now they find the bodies they know that's definitely foul play what is the what is the next thing that's going on i imagine they're looking trying to figure out who could do this or who was involved or stuff like that
3: exactly rick Uh, late march 99 the fbi went out and they did parole and probation uh searches and violated some guys for drugs and such and they arrested a guy named Johnny, Johnny Nolan Jr., a guy named Larry Utley, and, uh, Jeffrey Wayne Keeney. And two of the, two of the three of the guys right away, they, they lived right in that little village there. Uh, there's trailer parks on the way to u little spots where people live. And, um, they were rolling these guys, and these guys were sexual predators, drug addicts and such. So they just started sweeping the area for possible suspects with the same MOs, uh, people that could, could have, you know, maybe murdered these, uh, young women and, and such. So. Right. Um, that's when it really started up. They went out and uh, within a month or so, they they rounded up about eight suspects for the case.
0: Wow,
2: and that, and that was the thing that I found really surprising in the book too was that this was from the people that they were rounding up, and then the the suspects the suspects that they started to hone in on. This was something that these guys were uh, kind of known for. Correct? They would kind of follow. Females around they would like at this bar that they would see them at and, and like I said see if I missed anything up Please correct me be uh, by all means. I don't mind you correcting me at all But I from what I remember the book that they were that this was kind of like an activity that these guys would do they would kind of like follow women around and uh, Kind of like a lot of the women I from in the book would like thought they were kind of creepy these guys and I'm sure that You know you can tell us more about that like how these guys looked or how they acted. They were definitely in the drug trade I'm
3: assuming they were they, they you know the FBI the FBI they labeled, they said the FBI set up a task force in Sonora and they 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 titled this case tournap like tourists being kidnapped right and right. um they were after basically the, the group of methamphetamine uh uh druggies and, and such and uh so they 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 were focused on the right people you know i mean you know El Portal and these different areas up there i mean you know everybody knows everybody a lot of parolees end up there. There's a Jamestown uh, prison uh, in Sonora, so that's kind of close. Where families will move when somebody's in prison. A lot of families will move to that area, which is you know what they do. And um, then they started going after you know other people because these guys would rat people out. But what's interesting is um, uh, late March they they go after this group of people. They, the FBI had over a thousand leads uh, on this oh, case, wow. and they focused on the meth guys, like I said. But in early April, uh, the guy was chasing, let me, let me digress a little bit, is that the guy I bailed out was named Paul Candler. Okay. I had bailed him out for um felon with a gun, I think drug possession was part of it, and also um, a DUI, which is unusual, and uh, Candler, uh, who had a prison record, even though I bailed him out, we, we checked things, and, and the bond was pretty good, I got collateral, but he spent about 18 years of his life, and he was probably about 40 then, in, in state prison. Wow. wow. So, you know, I, I, all of a sudden looking for this guy, my partner, Rick James, I got the forfeiture on the bond, which means you have permission and uh, to go after this guy and bring him back to court. And all of a sudden we couldn't find him. And I mean, it's unusual. We usually, you know, caught everybody that we would look for him and such. And um, April 1st, we went to Moccasin to start doing the investigation. That's where we really started like putting some teeth in our investigation mm-hmm. So I told my partner, Rick, I think this guy might be good, you know, for, for these homicides because of the place where he lived and proximity of everything. And um, we go to Moccasin early April, and his post office box is closed. And um, five wow. days later, <laughs> yeah. So after they, were, after they rolled up all these guys, um, they, they were trying to put together and convene a federal grand jury in Fresno. And they have had some other suspects involved, which were half-brothers named Michael Larvik and Eugene Dykes. And um, at that point, I forwarded my report, 18-page report to the FBI task force, and I never got a response back from these guys. And I always thought, wasn't Really? What
2: was it? Yeah, that's kind of, Is that kind of a, like, see, you have to kind of educate me because I definitely don't know police protocol. Is that really, un, that's probably really unlikely, right, that you would not get, if you sent them a report like that, that they don't respond at all. That That seems really weird to me.
3: Uh, you know, I thought it was, especially, you know what I mean, there's a thousand, you know, people have called in and said they saw this or that or these are statements. But, you know, I'm a former cop in the Bay Area, former cop. But I had a bail bond business up there for about uh, seven or eight years by that time. And I wrote the report and I never heard back. So I went ahead. And that is unusual. So I went ahead and contacted uh, the victim's uh, parents, you know, the, the grand grandparents and the, the, the mother and father of uh, uh, Carol's son and uh, I said, you know, uh, uh, something's going on here, and um, I'd actually contact him through their attorney, Mr. Angel, and I got a call back from Mr. Carrington about an hour later, very concerned, wanted to know what I knew, and he was kind of suspecting that law enforcement was keeping, in, they were keeping information away from him, and he didn't like it too much, but what's interesting, April 6th of 99, they found a guy named Terry Ray floating um, in the Stanislaus River near Modesto, and he was the Main witness for the grand jury, and he ended up dead. Now people don't drown with their shoes on. You um, know, and, 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 and there was some water there, but this guy could swim. I, I researched it. Um, he was murdered, and um, that's what really sparked it. The main witness for the grand jury is now dead.
2: Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of suspicious, isn't it? Wow, like. That's yeah, like and so why why do you think that the police, like you said, that they, they weren't really letting the parent, like the, the the parents and the family members know what was going on? Is that is that normal for them not to like? You think they would keep the family really up to date with what's going on, where their leads are taking them, and all of that? I find like, that's kind of weird, isn't it, that they're not inc- like letting people let letting the family know what's going on and stuff? I would think.
3: To a certain point, but you know, it's like the news. You know, you don't want to put out information to the general public that'll that'll hurt the case or give give the bad guys an edge. So you know, there's things that the FBI and law enforcement would keep from anybody except themselves, and that that's protocol in, in a case like this in a lot of ways. Oh, come um on. but um, I, I felt being being um, that they didn't answer my report, I, I Mr. Carrington, you know, and I, I explained things to him. He wasn't real happy with it, um, but, you know, wh- you know, it goes back to the one person do this. And, you know, at the time, we weren't thinking too much about that. We thought they had everybody in custody. And um, the, the case went from, like, March uh, – June was when things started kind of happening. Of course, when, when Joey Armstrong was murdered on July 22nd, 1999 um, – it kind of changed things. You know, they had all these guys in custody, and they'd already questioned Stainer a little bit before that. He he was a handyman, Kerry Stainer, the guy that they uh, indicted and sentenced for uh, homicides on the federal level and the state level. Um, he was actually helping them, and it was room 504 that uh, the girls had checked into. What's interesting, too, Rick, is that it was wintertime, February, and they were in the very, very furthest part of it. I think it was about 600 rooms at the Cedar Lodge. in a very back part where nobody else was. So we believe that the desk clerk was involved with these guys and had set the family up for a kidnapping or a robbery or something up in the upper part of the, um, the, the hotel area. Um, and it wasn't until that part of June when the Modesto really picked up on it. A guy named Mike Mooney, the main reporter that also agreed with me that this was definitely more than one person.
2: Oh, okay. I see. So that that's kind of interesting. So then, like, at first they thought that this might be just one person, but the more that you guys investigated and you started digging into this, this was definitely – and I thought that, too, when I was reading your book, like, even before we kind of get talking about it, I kind of thought, like, I don't know how that. like, I just had a feeling this wasn't one person. Like, is – and what I wanted to ask you this is kind of off topic from the book but i i I just want to get your opinion now we i I look at a lot of four one one missing missing cases uh that david uh, a gentleman by David Plytus presents of sure. people going uh, missing in in state parks and all, that happens mm-hmm. a lot more than people think. Do you think that this may have played into that a little bit? Could this be some of the do you? This is just. Uh, I'm just wondering your opinion that where some of these missing people are going. Do you think this is something that these gentlemen have been doing in this area for a long time? Is there anything that you've researched to make you believe that? I'm just curious.
3: Oh, great question. I, you know, I know. I know David. I don't know him personally, but I followed him, and, and we've emailed a couple times back and forth. He's a fantastic investigator. Um, yes, absolutely. The, if you look at the state parks and the national parks, there's a lot of people that are missing from these uh, areas, and not speaking for let's say Grand Tetons or Glacier or something national park, but I know up in the California area of Yosemite, Palmey County and such is that there are there are there's many cases up there of people that they've never found, adults. Uh you know, they'd find their car and their keys and everything else. And just like with the Pontiac, I mean they left the camera there, um they left identification some identification there, uh in in the burnt car. Is that, um, it, it, it's all that revolves around the meth, the drug trade, and that's what it revolves around. And we'll, we're not going to jump forward too much, but the power brokers are involved in a lot of the drug trade, and it goes back to Mariposa. So this, this kind of really, you know, made it, it's convoluted. It's like, wow, who's doing what, or what have you. And, um, yeah, these guys, they get high on the meth and such, and they, they pull these things off, and, um, they don't they don't find these people. And yes, it does happen in these in these national parks and state parks. Uh and it's more often than you think.
2: Right. Um, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. And and then when you start that's what I tell people, when you start looking into these missing four one one cases, there is a lot of people that go missing in these parks, all the parks across uh the US and, and areas like that. And there seem to be these clusters. So I just, that's what I kind of wondered when I was reading your book was, could this be something like, I'm not saying every missing case is like this at all. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm sure you're not either, but I'm just wondering if those may be accountable for some of it that, you know, like you said, there's a heavy drug trade going on there, which, you know, which is really surprising. Like when you get into that later in the book, like it really, this starts to really take an ugly, uh, direction is i guess the best word i can put it when i was reading this book i was just like wow this is where it led you is really crazy like that's why i keep telling people they have to read this book because it's it's amazing and it's really you get into some really like dark stuff that that's going on and that so what let just to keep it moving along now from what i remember in the book i remember that in your investigation you ended up chasing this gentleman to alabama if i'm correct is that correct? Is Are we kind of following along perfect here? Like uh, that's kind
3: of – Absolutely. Just, just to back up a little bit, it was um, – Sure, yes. In, in March, they arrested this Michael McLarwick uh, and his brother Eugene Dykes, the half-brother. And both of them, within a week or two, had um, commandeered a house after an incident with the police and held right. people right. hostages in these homes. Matter of fact, McLarwick, he, I mean he was pulled over. And uh, I don't I don't think it was it was officer, motor, motorcycle officer Steve Silva um, was pulling him over for expired registration. And Mick Larwick jumped out with a rifle and started shooting at Steve. And they they exchanged. I mean, they say it's 20 something rounds. And Officer Silva was uh, shot in, in his stomach and uh, shot, I think, two, three more times. He did survive. But, um w- w- you know, what is, what is Mick Larwick shooting at people for? And he had a, his criminal history is like Charles Manson, just like his half brother. They're both still in prison, by the way. But wow, wow. Um, that's what kind of got grand jury everybody going at these guys. Like well, people don't react like that and pull rifles out on police officers during traffic stops. So these guys were definitely, you know, uh, not going back in. you know. Right,
2: right. And what, right, made, what and made just so we don't go, uh, so we kind of don't get too far ahead. What made the police and the task force hone in on these on these bro- on this brother group, like these two brothers? What was it that? made them kind of think this is the direction we want to go and look into these guys. Well, they are probably be people telling the police about them and Sure. Yeah,
3: I mean, these guys are rats. They run each other out and such. Uh, I mean, the criminal history uh, of these guys is all drugs. And, and, and Mick Larwick, I mean, he, he, he raped a mother in front of a six-year-old kid. I mean, these guys are just terrible. These guys are animals. So they, they just looked at, you know, profiles and MOs and criminal history and, you know, where they were at or what, who they knew know acquaintances because all these guys even the central valley there's a lot of the connections everywhere else these guys know each other and um that's why they honed on on those on those two brothers um was be, because of that and there was some there were some other witnesses i'm sure some of the people that were um vetted by the grand jury had spoke to my like terry ray who ended up dead you know i still think mick Larwick had killed him right. but um they, they had their witnesses and people talk and everything else um so that's what they did and these these two half brothers uh were definitely involved i mean i've witnesses that id them at certain spots
2: yeah that yeah i remember that that yeah like these guys definitely when when you start describing them in the book i was just like wow these guys it's really disturbing that and when you think about people like that that are in the world and stuff like that and the stuff that they do like i was just the, the book was an eye-opener for me that's for sure like i was just like wow and so we're so they so basically we left like you were saying they they took they commandeer a house they and then where do we go from there? How do we how do we end up in Alabama where the story takes another turn, which is another crazy turn? Oh, actually?
3: it is. So, you know, we, since March, we couldn't find Candler, my bail jumper. Right. And right. Um, June 4th of 99 is that I I'd interviewed a, a, a stepdaughter of um, Paul Candler, the guy I was chasing. And uh, Barbara Dobbins was the girlfriend. She's the one who put the money up in Tuolumne County yes, when I yeah. bailed out. The, the bond was 23 grand, which I thought was kind of low. And um, I befriended the, the niece or what have you, step step uh, stepdaughter. And then a couple of days later, uh, I got a call from her, and she got a call from Alabama, and it recognized the number. And Barbara had called her uh, about some money being owed or something. So I knew right away we had him. So on June 5th, my partner Rick James and I, God rest his soul, um, we took a red eye to Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, uh, the next day, and it was, what's interesting is before I left. For Alabama, I had the Tuolumne County detectives, because it was part of Tuolumne County's case. I had them over at my house in Murphy's, and I briefed them. And I said, you know, I'm going back to Alabama. This is, you know, a Tuolumne County warrant, but I need help. Would you put it into NCIC, National Criminal Criminal Information uh, Center? And they said they would. So, you know, we just took off to Alabama and such. And um, all of a sudden, the next day, June 6th, the FBI arrested a gun named Canada Soldier Stewart, who lived up in uh, Yosemite area. So the FBI was kind of like starting to move around, keeping arresting rest more people. But on June 7th, um, we uh, we caught Candler uh, in Fultondale, Alabama, after a 48-hour manhunt. And like uh-huh. uh, you brought up earlier, is that when we first spotted him in front of the house. We, fo- we followed Barbara Dobbins, uh, the girlfriend who called. We followed her from where she worked, and it was a trailer park in Summerton, Alabama, and you know, we 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 parked across the street, I remember the gas station. It was the only car in the parking lot in Alabama that had California plates. So we knew we we had her. So we followed her back home. And uh and we kind of parked on the streets. So we pull up Paul Candler's right out front. And oh, you yeah, I remember
2: and this? Yeah, I remember yeah. this in the book where yeah, this is crazy in the book how when you guys kind of drive by and they're standing right in front of the house, go ahead and tell them yeah. this is a crazy part.
3: <laughs> yeah, and then so he spots us, and he dove right headfirst literally <laughs> into the car, and we we started a pursuit. And I called it off after a little while because we had, we're, in, we're we're in a minivan and they're in like a little you know Japanese car, so we couldn't keep up with him. But be part of that, I had uh, contacted Jefferson County, and Paul was, Paul Candler and his girlfriend were in Warrior, Alabama, That's Jefferson County, and Jefferson County advised me that it couldn't help us because Paul Candler was not in. The NCIC, like Tuami County promised, he was only in the seven western states NCIC, and Alabama's not in our seven western states. So I had no support from local jurisdiction, which and they, they can't help me because there's no warrant for that, cause for that arrest outside that.
2: Right. So, um, yeah, and that was another part that I found really strange in your book, too, that was that, like, there was, like, things would disappear. Like, you, you would have, like, a warrant, and then – uh then all of a sudden there wouldn't be a warrant, like like a, like you weren't allowed to. Like, it was like I'm trying to describe it properly, because I'm not good at the police terms. But I do remember in the book that that there was like you had like no, it was hard for you to get to be able to go after these guys. Like it always seemed that somebody was putting up like a roadblock, and that you wouldn't you couldn't like you just said you couldn't get help to. Go after them, and then there would, there, you had to go and try to get like a, a, a warrant, and then the warrant would disappear, kind of like it would be there, and then it wouldn't be there. Can you kind of like, I hope you know what I'm talking about in the book, because sure. I found that really weird that you definitely had powers to be working against you right from the start on this case.
3: You know, we, we didn't, we, we didn't know it. Um, when I was chasing Candler, um, I, I contacted Merced County, uh, Sheriff's Department. And that's where Candler was from, the Outwater area, which was actually very, very close <clears throat> to Merced and such, and it's where uh Candler lived and also Stainer grew up. And uh it was a Captain Pedro and he told me, and I was in Alabama when I talked to him, he said that hey, Candler's got a fifty thousand dollar arrest warrant for terrorist threats to his mother. I said, No kidding. And also there was a there was a no bill warrant for uh, rape of a of a girl from the time she was five till she was twelve, so they wanted this guy, and within a couple of days, because um, I was going to use the power of that warrant with Merced Sheriff's Department. If I couldn't get help, maybe they could get this in see which they were going to do. All of a sudden, that fifty thousand dollar bench warrant uh, uh, was was not around anymore and so that's when i started thinking cover-ups from the deep state or power brokers you know just started thinking about other things because as a former cop it just wasn't right you know right. so there was right. definitely people that were uh inter- interfering with our investigation and they knew where i was going from earlier contact at the house and um i'd gotten on the phone after the pursuit and i got a hold of uh Tuohami county and then uh, the deputy da was out golf and i remember and I said, hey, man, you know, this thing's not an NCIC. Well, I kind of argued with him. The next day it was. So um, on um, January 7th, Rick and I hit the house at midnight, and Candler wasn't there, but his girlfriend was there, and she called 911. What's interesting is Paul Candler – oh, no, sorry. Let me digress. Paul Candler dialed 911 uh, from another location, and it looked like Birmingham because on those old, those old caller IDs, you remember those and a little box yes. by your phone? Is um, when we hit the house and Barbara was hysterical, drunk. She was she was on drugs or whatever. Uh, Paul was on the phone at the time we hit the house, so he called nine one one. So that came over as a phone number, and uh, Jefferson County showed up with a bunch of units. And um, uh, I gave him the phone number and such. So I said yeah, this guy's in, this guy's in Birmingham somewhere. But just before that, about oh half probably noon the, the prior day. I was contacted by uh, Agent Barnes of the FBI. Now Barnes is a San Francisco FBI agent. I mean, he's—he's—you can look him up. He's—he's, he's, you know, he's, people knew who he was. He did some big cases. Right. He called me and told me to quit handing out the wanted posters because when we go on bounties in certain areas, with like Las Vegas or whatever, we put a reward up and we'll put up posters on like, telephone poles, by Seven Eleven, and oh, things like sure. that. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you that. Why? That like why would they not want
2: you putting up? The posters, like the, to me, that makes no. You think they would be applauding you for putting up these posters and doing what you're doing, but yet they're telling you to take them down. That was another part of the book I
3: found strange. Yeah, I didn't like it. I actually went out the next day and made like another 50 copies. I wasn't gonna listen to these guys. I, I got 23 grand on the line. You know, this is my business. You know, they did go get them. They, they could have got them themselves. Right. You know, but I let it to let them to Candler and everything. Like I said, nobody runs from California to Alabama. It's very rare, and um. So, you know, I I said thank you and kind of ignored it, and we went after him, but I was getting, you know, blocked from doing certain things because that the FBI didn't want to get a black eye from some rogue bounty hunter out there, but the thing was, as a former officer and stuff, we're all on the same side. We want to get the bad guys, you know? Exactly. Right, right. And so I gave him all the information to do everything else, and... um. We, uh, we, tracked him to a days in in Birmingham and then we tracked him to Fulton Dale, Alabama and they set up a command post. But when the cops showed up in Warrior, when, when Paul dialed 911 and such, they had my wanted poster in their back pocket. So I, I asked one of the deputies, wow, this is cool. You know, thank you. He goes, your guy is now the number one manhunt, uh, in, in Alabama. And I went, how does it go from California? They don't want to listen to me. He's now, Cal- he's now the, the most wanted guy in Alabama at that time. Wow. So that's that is Alab- crazy. I know it's not Alabama's want, it's a California want, right? And that shows that the feds were involved, you know, because they can pull that kind of stuff. And that's that's when I knew I told Rick this thing, something's covering this thing up
2: because, yeah, definitely. And I that, yeah, like for sure, like, and I I can just imagine how frustrating that is for you and your partner trying to, you know, apprehend this guy and. Everywhere you go, there's a roadblock being thrown up. Like, I mean, there's a point where you just got to start. I would be wondering the same thing if I was you. Like, why? And I, why were they doing this? Like, can do you? Have, can you let people know why were they doing this? There's got to be a reason that they were doing what they were doing.
3: Well, you know, the FBI. They, you know, I mean, I'm like, I got friends in the bureau. You know, over the years, um, it's it just I don't say ego or whatever, but you know, they're the top, top net. They're the top um, domestic law enforcement under DOJ or what have you, you know, Right, right, um, right, right. And, you know, so, you know, this is a big case. You know, matter of fact, uh, you know, Senator Grassley came out after the case and said it was the worst bungle since Ruby Ridge and Waco. The Yosemite case was, you know, he was in charge of our federal law enforcement oversight and he didn't like the case. He didn't like what they were doing. I never spoke with him. I wrote a letter uh, and got a brief thank you. But that was it. But I knew that he had knew what was going on. So now we have, you know, the worst, one of the worst bungles in FBI history. Um, and um, so they basically, they wanted Candler for themselves. I introduced Candler in a lot of ways to this case and being a suspect. And, you know, if they would have worked with me more back then, it might have been great. But, um, no, I, we were on our own, and we did get the support. We did end up hooking him up. After the warrant went to NCIC, Jefferson could help us, and they actually sent a full. Com- they set up a full command post and um, we went up and hit a room at one of the motels. And Somerton has, like, a motel row on the highway. It's like 10 or diff- ten or 15 different motels, hotels. And so we, us with the law enforcement canvassed all the hotels, and nobody saw them or anything. It was kind of strange. And then my partner, Rick, who's just really sharp, because with, during, during the um, uh, command post uh, briefings, they were ready to set up. And it's really interesting. It's just like um, – U.S. Marshals with uh, Wesley Snipes and Tommy Lee Jones, they actually they got those swamp boats and they got these little swamps, and they're bringing these guys out with, you know, at a sunrise to start looking at swamps. Because I said, this guy had to go into the water. I mean, matter of fact, when we hit the hotel room at the command post the first time, there was a cold six-pack of Budweiser sitting on a dresser. The bed had not been slept in, so he was there.
2: You just missed him.
3: You missed him by 10 minutes. But well, the thing was, there's nothing That's against That's crazy. Him what would happen was is a lot of black and whites and marked units just pulled into the parking lot of the hotel and this guy, he booked, you know what I mean? He's, you know, the guy like this looking out the curtains every, you know, 30 seconds. So,
2: Oh, for yeah. sure. yeah Like they're used to, they're used to the police. Like they're always, I'm sure they're always yeah. checking behind them oh. and uh, what's, where what's going on around them. I mean, I would, I, that just makes sense to me.
3: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, um, the command post is there, and we're checking motels. There's like eight of them or something. And we, we we kind of canvassed a couple. My partner said, let's check this one at the end And I told Rick's, Rick's an ex. Oh, he's a former, he was a former Marine, of course, um, and he was a sergeant in Washoe County, which is Reno. That's Nevada. And also he was elected sheriff in Eureka County, Nevada. So he was a sharp cop, and he worked uh, drugs and, and such for the state. And he said, let's just check this last hotel. I said, oh, you know, okay, let's check it. And sure enough, uh, the gal was there from the past shift, and she said, uh, Yeah, there was a guy that came in. And what the interesting thing was is that the guy who called on the caller ID was named Dave Gear, like G E E R. And oh, I told, uh, I told the, the, the lieutenant at the command post, I go, this guy's registered under Dave Gear. But when we hit that hotel, the last one, I said, Look for Dave Gear. And Dave Gear signed in. She said, you know what she said? Uh, she said he smelled he smelt like he he smelt like the swamps. That's right,
2: I did. remember that. I remember that yeah. in the book. I remember that. And then that, that she didn't when you said the first name, she didn't recognize it, but as soon as you showed from what I remember in the book, you showed her a picture right. I think of this guy and you said that she like completely turned white almost, like she knew right away who you were talking mm-hmm. about. That's what she's like he smelled like funny and all of the, yeah, I remember yeah. that part.
3: Yeah, he came in like a wet puppy, you know. And right, right. And so um we, I, I, got on, I got on the line and got a hold of uh, the command post and we moved our whole, you know, operation up the road. And we were in the lobby and we planned it all out. And I told, you know, it's our guy, but, you know, I told the lieutenant, you know, Rick and I will take, take, uh, you know, entry. You know, get us a couple guys behind we'll pull them out. And uh, so they got a hold of everybody. They, they had, they had roadblocks everywhere on the highway. He wasn't going to go too far. Um, and uh, it was, I remember it was room 101. It was up top. It was a corner room. They gave us a key, and, you know, we're, at the, we're, we're up at the door there, and you can kind of hear behind us. The sun wasn't quite up yet, but you could hear the gravel crunching with patrol units pulling up, you know, maybe 40, 50 yards behind us. They're You know, all the firearms were on the, you know, pointed at the, the door of the hotel room, and I was just hoping I wouldn't get shot, but it was well, ironic. Yeah, for sure, it, it, yeah, no doubt. Yeah the, yeah, the gal gave us a key it didn't fit, so I had to send Rick down to the office, and that's when the sun was coming up. And uh, I was at the door, you know, I carried a 9mm back then. And uh, so I said in the book, Candler came out like a wildcat. I saw the curtains move, and my my, I mean, my palms were sweating. I'm by myself because the two guys, they gave us two rookies to back us at the door. Not, and one of the rookies didn't come up and fill for Rick, so I'm by myself. And Candler opened the door, and he came out like a wildcat, and we started fighting. And I was pretty strong back then, I could bench, and, everything. and so... Right, right. Still, like, it's, yeah, it's yeah but it's still, you got not. a guy,
2: yeah, you got a guy that's probably strung out on methamphetamines or whatever mm-hmm. other drugs, and then you got him pinned into a corner, basically, right. and then he's coming out wild like, at you, going for your gun, from what I remember in the book, that, I couldn't even imagine what you were going through at thinking at that moment.
3: Do you know what, these guys are big corn-fed guys back there, and it was interesting, they hate white trash from California, you know, it makes sense. So uh we were fighting and um I got him rolled over. He was trying to get my gun the whole time, so I was able to keep him at bay with my left hand and my right hand way out there, you know. Right. And all of a sudden there's a big pile on dog pile and these big old guys jumped in there and we cuffed him up and I got him against the wall and stuff. And you know, it, it you know, it told me right then we got a we got this guy. I mean this right. guy you don't get that kind of law enforcement support unless it's 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 a pretty big thing. I didn't have to explain anything to these guys. They just came and set up and so they were really great. So, you know, then we took Candler to the hospital because when we went down, I cut his eye open and stuff.
2: Yeah, so, I remember. Yeah. yeah, I remember that too, right? Yeah, you guys, because yeah. <laughs> he got a little bit of cut on him. Yeah, okay.
3: Yeah, yeah, which I, you know, I wish back now it have been more. But anyway, I did my job and took him to the hospital in Birmingham. And um, I went to get snacks. I mean, we've been on this thing for 48 hours. I had to go to the snack machines. My partner's sitting there. And he said, he goes, Candler practically confessed. You know, he pulled me aside. I'm going, no shit. That was amazing.
2: So he was confessing to the three Yosemite sightseer murders, basically while you're at the hospital getting him stitched up or whatever. He confessed to your partner Rick that he did all three of these murders. Is that he, that's what he? Well, there, was,
3: there wasn't there wasn't there wasn't three yet. I mean, there was three. It wasn't the fourth. I'm sorry. There's three the three girls. Right, uh, right. No, he 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 said he felt sorry for them. You okay. Know? But when we spoke with Barbara earlier, the day and a half or whatever earlier, or not earlier. Shit, I should say six hours earlier. Where it was. She had said that, you know, he ran to Alabama because he, he thought the feds were after him regarding those murders. In okay. December. So she kind of put it out there too. So, uh, you know, we, we got him stitched up, brought him back to Fultondale Police Department, met with Lieutenant, and he said, Birmingham FBI's on their way. And I go, yeah, and that's a surprise. You know, I mean, the FBI wanted this guy the whole time. And so we split and, um, they, they put him into custody and everything. And he didn't, and Paul Candler, he fought extradition back to California. So they had to get a governor's warrant to bring him back. And, um, you know, that told me he's good for this case at that point.
2: Oh, for sure. Yeah, this is it's crazy. Like, I, yeah. So so basically you got him stitched up. And then what do we what happens after now? What kind of happens after he tells your partner, like your partner says, he's basically confessed and stuff like that? Where 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 do we go from here? Like what's what's the next uh, events that oh. kind of happen?
3: Well, we flew back. To, we flew back to California, and um, when we after we arrested him, because I told the lieutenant, please don't tell anybody where we're at. I didn't want to talk to the news. I didn't care about that. Right. And right. you know, whoever leaked it, I don't know who. But after about 40 minutes of arriving back to the hotel by Summerton, there was like eight news trucks out there, and I got a call from the, you know, uh, motel uh, front desk saying. News guys I want to talk to, you. and I said, "Hey, tell me I checked out. You know, I, you know, I don't want to deal with this." So I came back, came back to California. We flew back the day, day later, and um, you know, I had phone calls and things like that. Um, and I got a hold of Carringtons, but it kind of like he's in custody. We kind of did our job. I'll get off the bond, but that's just where the story begins.
2: Exactly, you know? exactly. That's that's what I want to tell people. This like this is just the beginning. Of the story uh you think this is getting to the end of the book no we're just getting into the beginning it's that crazy <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: it wow
3: so basically I, you know i kind of did my thing and was doing whatever i you know i was doing um in business and such and then um you know so that was june 8th on june 9th the tuami county uh ledger dispatch had an article front page that um Eight of the eight, nine of the Yosemite suspects are all in custody. We got the guys, and if Nina Dean was the um, district attorney. She happens to retire. She happens to, to, to resign about four months after that, of course. <laughs> right. And um, they didn't put Candler's name. They listed everybody else: Larwick, Dykes, uh, S- S- Soldier, Stewart. All these people they named, but they didn't name our guy. Okay. That's,
2: yeah, that's really weird.
3: It was. <laughs> It was very weird. Um, but... Um,
2: and was there so any, like, why didn't they, did you have any idea why they didn't mention him? Like, that must have got your curiosity. Like, why did they mention everybody but this guy?
3: Because, uh, you know, because I think they, covered, they, were, they were covering stuff up for, for him. I right. think that, that, yeah, that's what, there's no other reason.
2: That's what I'm – yeah, right. That It makes sense, right? Like, why – that's the only reason that they could – why that why they would want to cover something like this up. Usually they'd be parading them on the front page and – Oh, sure. You know, has, yeah. Yeah. Right.
3: What's, inter- what's interesting, you know, say, I should say June 7th that we nailed Candler pretty much. But on June 8th, the next day, they found the decomposed and dismembered body of a Dr. Catherine Wong. She was an uh, OBGYN, and she was married to a doctor. And right, Bear right, Valley right. Ski Resort, Mount Reba, is only about 30 miles up from Arnold. And uh, Candler had lived in Arnold with Barbara Dobbs. As a matter of fact, she worked at the El Dorado Bank uh, a few years before. And this doctor had been missing since uh, February that year. And all of a sudden, the day after we nailed Candler, they find Doctor Wong's body up on the up on the ski slopes. It was now. Now listen, it was there's no snow there in June, but. They did extensive search when she went missing skin, You know, I mean, they did everybody's out there. And all of a sudden, the day after we arrest Candler, they find her. They find her body. He gave them that body. Exactly. Uh, we, think Candler, we think Candler was a hitman. We still do.
2: Really? So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, so you think that he gave them that body to sure. uh, kind of grease the wheels for him, and not, you know, so they're not like help them out, kind of to get in their good sure. graces, kind of thing.
3: Yeah, exactly. He he he, ratted whatever he did or, and, you know, he anyway, told him where the body was at and stuff like that. But, you know, like I said, it's Bear Valley's Highway 4. Only one highway up to Bear Valley, and that's out of Arnold. And Candler lived in Arnold. And so, you know, we're thinking right around that February, he he had, you know, been involved in uh, Dr. Catherine Wong's murder and also uh, the Three Sides Sears. Wow. Wow.
2: That, yeah. that is yeah. really – yeah, that's really uh... – disturbing, and I remember when I was reading that, I was thinking, like, yeah, like, what are the odds that he's going to lead them right to, like, the their body the next day shows up, and, yeah. you know, yeah, like, yeah. I mean, like, so... What happens at like what so did what happens after that like they like I'm just trying to check the time here. Just give me one sec, Steve. I just gotta make sure that sure. I keep an eye and an eye on the time here because as I was telling you, is that uh, hopefully Greg Fernandez Jr. will be joining us in the second mm-hmm. half so he can ask sure. you some questions. And uh, I know he's got questions. So yeah, we still got probably about five or six minutes before. Oh, okay. A,
3: okay. Well, you're asking what happened after. Uh, right. We, right. We hooked, we hooked up Candler is on, on July 22nd, 1999, so this is June 7th, 8th, we're in Alabama, July 22nd. That's when they found the naturalist, beautiful blonde named Joey Armstrong, 26 years old. She's found decapitated by her remote cabin in Yosemite. Little town of Fort Easter, they call it. And the FBI says there's no connection to San Peloso Slain's period. And we're like, whoa, wait a second. You get these guys in custody, now we got another dead body in Yosemite? What? The, 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 now we're, everybody's confused. exactly. When the FBI came out and named all these suspects and we got everybody safe, bring your kids and family, beautiful Yosemite Park, they find another body. And that was – she was decapitated. It's, you know, it came out, and I don't like speaking about it, but they actually found her head on the other side of the creek. Um, and that just blew me away. Um, years later, I met her aunt, which was interesting. I'll tell you later. So they now they got a fourth body. So now they're looking at different people closer, and that's when they started really keen on at Carrie Stainer. Kerry Stainer, the, the so-called lone uh, murderer, and uh, he was a handyman at, at uh, Cedar Lodge, but that's when they start focusing on him. And then um, FBI questioned him, did everything else, and uh, that was on the 22nd. the 24th, uh, some witness saw him in the, on the television, and the FBI took him into custody at Laguna del Sal Nudis Colony out of Winton, California. That's by Sacramento. And it was FBI agent Jeff Reinick who led that uh, that arrest and such. So now we got a fourth victim. Now we got Kerry Stainer, And he ends up going into custody. And so now they got one guy. That is, was, yeah, yeah, that's just crazy. Nine, they nine guys. Yeah, now they got one. I mean, I don't, the public was not happy with that.
2: Oh, for sure. Because, yeah, they're trying to sell to the public that they got this all wrapped up. You know, it's safe to bring your family back to the park. And then another murder pops up again. And so, what? Right. what, like, are. You're saying that they had all these guys in custody. I'm trying to remember from what I read. Were they all? They were all friends with these guys, right? Or, really, or knew each other somehow
3: through sure. the drug underworld? Like, yeah. Yeah. So they had to have. Oh no, they do. I mean, you know, outside Yosemite Park, there can't be a thousand people between there and Mariposa. Exactly. A town of Mariposa. Yeah. So these people living in Letcher Park and such, they, they all knew each other. I mean, small town. I mean, super small town. So they, they all knew each other and, and, you know, there, there's a, there, there is a bunch of parolees and such that live up there and, and that's what they focused on. And then they get this clean cut, good looking guy named Kerry Stainer. And, um, you know, all of a sudden they, they look at him and they, they, you know, like I said, they got him at Laguna, they, they, Sal, outside Sacramento. And then that's when, um, Stainer went into custody. And then, you know, he, he pleads innocent in federal court and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, I remember uh, that. Yeah, I remember
2: that that he pled innocent, and I was just like, "This is crazy. (laughs) It really is." Like, and then so what? What happened? Let me just check that. Yeah, so we got about three more minutes. So what? Just continue from there. What happened after? So he, they. What happens after this? Like, where the, where? How do the police handle and the FBI not handle when this new body shows up? Like, they must have been kind of panicking, right? To explain what's going on here, like I would think. Like, I mean, how do they explain that to people?
3: Well, they had egg on their faces. I mean, it, exactly. went, it, went, so, it went so far as Jim Maddox, Jim Maddox, who ran the FBI uh, office out of Sacramento. Uh, they actually, um, the FBI sent in, and this is amazing, 50 agents from around the you know, United States. And they went in and cleaned the desks out in offices of three, of them, the top, James Maddox and two of his guys. And James Maddox ended up getting sent up to uh, South Dakota to run that office. They pulled him right out. They knew he screwed up.
2: Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah, that, that, yeah, that is really, yeah, I I imagine the, I, like, I got so many questions for the second hour now, too, like, mm. and then, I'm, and I'm definitely reading the book a second time because as I was, when we were talking off air, I was saying, like, it's a, like, it's a page turner and I went right through it in a day and a half and then I thought, and I started reading it again, uh, this morning because I was like, I really, there's so much going on in this book that you kind of got to give it a couple reads just to, to Get everything kind of like straight because it's you're really definitely what you were kind of found yourself in is like something that was really dark that was going on like we haven't even gotten into the Mariposa county yet, oh, which right. we can get into the in the set. like i mean it's all kind of like links together, and the basically something really dark going on over there in that area and um Definitely something we got to check, like talk more about in the second, in the second hour, uh, Stephen, cause up to right now, it's crazy. Like, I, I mean, I just, I just remember that in reading that in the book. And I was just like, it was like it, the way that they were stopping you from doing, like we were talking about how they were stopping you from doing part of the event, like, like kind of putting roadblocks up. It was just really, you definitely knew there was something shady going on in the drug scene and with the authorities and all of that. For sure, you know, in my you
3: opinion. You know, it was. And you know, as we get toward the end of this first hour, it, it, for about a year, you know, things happened. Standard goes to court. Things, they indict him, things like that. But on February 12th, it was, you know, years year since the girls are missing, is uh, Paul Candler shows up in Arnold. And my partner's getting gas, and he's attacked by Paul Candler. And it was right, dark, right, right. right. The, gal, the gal inside the uh, little mini-mart, she ID'd him. Oh, yeah, he lives across the street, buys his smokes and, and beer every day. And uh, you know, we, Rick called me, and he—he got the guy punched through the side window. Rick and everything, and um, uh, Calvert's County actually covered that up. They said his name was Paul Chandler. And, okay, I see. And he actually, yeah, and he actually told the gal she was wrong. So that's where. We, it's, so it's a year now, and then and then Paul Chandler shows back up in Arnold.
2: Wow. All right. Well, that's a great place to leave off. Yeah. Rick music. So everybody, we will be back in about five minutes. Thank you for taking the time here to. Listen in, and you know, we'll be back in five minutes with
0: Steve Center. Listen to Revolution Radio at freedomslips.com, we'll be right back after this message. There's still men out there. God damn. When I go home, people ask me, hey, who? Why do you do it, man? Why? Some kind of war junkie? I won't say a goddamn word. Why? Why? They won't understand. They won't understand why we do it. They won't understand it's about the men next to you. And that's it. That's all it is. Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. Number one listener supporter radio, the printing press for freedom at a time when freedom is needed the most.
1: I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney, and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A. My forte? Foreclosure and contract law. Grab your legal pad and pen. Learn a broad spectrum of law spanning administrative, criminal, family, tort, and federal law. Fools and losers cling to old cases. I dissect and comment on the latest rulings that control the courts. Don't be a loser. And if you don't appear, you will be held in contempt.
0: I will defend myself against their tyranny. Number three is my radio broadcast. I'm squarely in front of the public all the time, and they all know what's going on. For well, we all are opposed around the world by a monolith and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on the views for expanding its sphere of influence. Hello, my name is John Wayne, and I do a broadcast here at freedomslips.com, Radio, called The Unequivocal Truth, DEFCON 1. Freedom and at war. And folks, I assure you, we are in Defense Condition 1, Mission 1, as we journey perilously through this paradigm that we currently reside in, and I ask that you join me every Saturday 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the unofficial Proof, DEFCON 1. The original machine had a base plate of pre-famulated amulite, surmounted by a malleable logarithmic casing in such a way that the two spurving bearings were in a direct line with a panometric fan. The lineup consisted simply of six hydrocopic Marzal veins, so fitted to the ambifacient lunar wane shaft that side fumbling was effectively prevented. The main winding was of the normal Lotus O-Deltoid type placed in panendermic semi-boloid slots of the stator, every seventh conductor being connected by a non-reversible tremie pipe to the differential girdle spring on the up end of the gram meters. Thank you for listening to Revolution Radio, taking the confusion out of transmutated lunar girdle springs for four years and running. Revolution Radio, the number one listener supported alternative media radio on the planet. All right. Thanks for listening while well, we take that short break here. At Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. And now we're going to get back to your host.
2: Well, there we go. I hope everybody had a good break. Got yourself a coffee done whatever you needed to do and uh just to let everyone know that here at revolution radio at FreedomSlips.com, this is all listener supported so we definitely you know you guys make this all go around we do need your help so if you can head up to the top of the page there is a way that you can donate just follow you know it's really simple to follow and donate what you can because as i keep saying you guys make this happen and we definitely could use your help and uh We got Like I said at the beginning, we have a great guest on. We have Stephen on, the author of Ultimate Prey, the true story behind the Yosemite sightseer murders. And we're kind of going into the book and talking about what uh, was happening to him and what he got all involved in in this case, which is crazy. And I am trying to get Greg Fernandez Jr. on here. Stephen, like I said, I'm new to this. So I'm hoping I don't hang up on the call or something like that. I'm just hoping that this works. Uh, for some reason, when I want to add him, it doesn't highlight add. So maybe somebody that's listening that, a mod or something, can kind of let me know if I, if it, uh, like when I highlight his name, uh, to add him, it says call free on Skype. But I don't know if I do that, if it's gonna kind of kick me off this call, or if there's a different way that I can add it, or if he can call me. I'm kind of new to this guy. So please, I apologize. <laughs> I'm learning here as I go let's see here. God, I wish I could. anyone else that'll let me, it'll say, like, a couple other people here will let me add them, but it won't let me add Greg for some reason. Very strange. Are you still with me, Stephen? Rick, Rick, I'm here. Ah, perfect. All right. Well, just let me work through this here. I'm trying to get him on here. Maybe, Greg, you could try to give me a call, and hopefully I don't mess that up or... This is definitely uh I don't I think if I try to call him it's gonna actually uh drop this call. Which if it does happen, guys, please don't panic. Anyone listen, I will try to get right back on and continue this interview. I'm having a great interview with Steven Cesare, And uh thank you for being here, Stephen. I just we oh, have to get Craig on here. Yeah, you know, you're very yeah, we have to get him on here because he's got some great questions for you. I just Cannot figure out why it's not letting me at them. Uh, hold on a sec here. Okay. It's, I can't even tell. If, um, oh, incoming call. So what does this say? Uh, merge call. Okay, hold on. Let's see. Did I get you, Greg? Did this work? Okay, let's see. Are you with us, Greg? Okay, that's weird says Greg are you there Stephen? I'm still here yeah I got you here and it says Greg's on the call I don't know why I can't hear him <laughs> um, this is weird Uh, member not on call wait one group member not on call alright this is where I need help guys because I don't know how to add him uh this is weird. Okay, hold on here. Say, merge call from Greg Fernandez into current archive active call. That's what I did. All right. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Okay, I got you. There, I think I figured it out. Woo-hoo. Oh, there we go. And yeah. you're with me. So I got Stephen with me. Are you here still, Stephen? Yes, I am. Beautiful. And you got Greg. Okay, guys, sorry about that. Please. Bear with me, I'm learning, so I do apologize to everybody listening, but at least I figured it out. And welcome, Greg Fernandez Jr., you, to the crypt once again. I don't need to introduce you to Stephen Sazeri because you're the one who introduced me to him, so welcome. And uh, what do you think so far? This I've, I've read this book, as I was saying, and I know you have a lot of questions to ask, Stephen, so I thought it'd be great to get you on here because you definitely had some questions for him, and I... This book is crazy. I already said I'm reading it a second time. I started reading it again. Just there's so much to absorb. So what do you think about what what do you think of this book, Greg? I want your thoughts on this.
4: Yeah, sure. I've got I've got a ton of questions for Stephen. Perfect. Um, <laughs> obviously, starting with um, what is Stephen, what do you think about what what the what the narrative is about the Yosemite sightseer murders? How accurate is it? Um, did they get anything right in it?
3: <clears throat> hey Greg, well, welcome Greg. <laughs> hey my friend. Um they 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 did. They they did have it right and then they made it wrong. So, do you, you know, they had the you, nine guys in custody. Do you really
4: do you really think Kerry Seener was involved in the murders?
3: He played a he played a part in either setting them up as a handyman. Uh, you know, he went he went to the door with, you know, knock on the door. Yeah, he's definitely a part of that as far as the fourth murder with joey armstrong um he did that himself by okay. himself wow
2: yeah that's- okay
4: um i'm gonna run through some of these questions here if if i can if you don't mind i've got a ton of questions i don't know how much we'll get to so please feel free to <laughs> jump in rick and shut me down at any at oh, any. oh for point.
2: sure yeah no i have like yeah the <clears throat> question i have tons of questions too and and probably a lot of the questions that you have are the ones that I have and uh Stephen, like is doing an amazing job like breaking this whole case down. And I was I was saying earlier in the first hour that right when you think that you're getting to the bottom of the like the case is kind of wrapping up, it kinda of goes into a whole new direction kind of thing. Like it's <laughs> like it's just like, and that's what makes it so such an interesting book. So as long as Stephen doesn't mind you asking some questions, <laughs> I'm good for it. And I if you are right that Stephen?
3: Oh, absolutely. Perfect.
2: Well there yeah. you go great. I mean- this this really starts out. This really, to me, this is a
4: story about Stephen and Paul 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 Kandler When Paul right. Candler jumps bail, that's when a lot of this stuff really, that, really yeah, happens. that's when
2: it all yeah, that's when it all begins.
4: Well, Paul 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 Kandler is an interesting cat. He was a part of the Modesto Cranksters, is that right, Stephen?
3: Yeah, he was definitely involved in the drug trade.
4: So, and to what to what end was he just a, a, a crankster? Was he helping pushing pushing this stuff? Do we do we know? Is it kind of un, uncertain how deeply he was involved in this stuff? He seems heavily connected in
3: something. De- definitely connected. I don't know as far as him being a major drug mule or slinging the dope or whatever. But he, um, when Rhonda Dunn uh, was was chased up in Yosemite prior to or uh, at the old or Cedar Lodge and El Portel by somebody. when she was chased, Paul Cannon was one of the guys she identified because I had sent back a a photo lineup to her and her mother in Chicago. They were visiting and on vacation. uh, And she's a a respiratory therapist at Northwestern. And she has has like a photographic memory, but um, he seemed to be the leader of of the whole group that tried to basically abduct her at the time because she she was a good-looking blonde gal, and, and Julie was blonde and cute. And Rhonda looks very young for her age. I think she was maybe in her mid-30s then. Um, so she was targeted, and she identifies Candler as being the uh, leader.
4: Mm-hmm. So on page 26, you, you write, um, <clears throat> Steve, that uh, Candler had, had jumped my bond. His last residence was very close to Judy Sun's body. I thought that was pretty pretty
2: fascinating, oh. too. Yeah, that is yes. interesting, Yes. Very good question, Greg. Good
3: question. Greg, we we didn't yeah, we didn't cover that earlier. Yeah, uh, he lived on a, it's called Grizzly Road, and it's off at a moccasin where Paul Candler had his uh, P.O. box. And we found out when we went up there to investigate, Paul Candler had been living in a house on Grizzly Road that was belong that belonged to uh, Paul Candler's sister. And what caught us on this when he jumped on was is that house house uh, was inflamed, engulfed in, in, in a fire, and it burnt the garage down mm-hmm. and such. And that that's when we basically we we think that he they had the girls there and they're going to burn the house down to cover the evidence. But, you know, a matter of fact, Julie's body was found uh, about three quarters of a mile or so by boat because the end of Grizzly Road goes into a little boat ramp on on Lake Don Pedro. And Julie's body was found on the shores of Lake Don Pedro right across the water. So given his M.O. and his criminal history and such, it just you know what? It just totally made sense. And that that's where they found Julie's body was. You know, if you drive around the, drive around the, you know, to get down there by road it's a couple of miles, but across the water it's only about three quarters of a mile.
4: Wow. Yeah, and people 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 can look at page page twenty nine of your book and they can really see exactly where all of these bodies are found. These maps that you put in your book I think are very right. helpful to really help us see, okay, where, where was Stainer at? Where was Julie's son where was Julie's son's body found? Where where was Candler at? Candler burns down his, his sister's home? I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty odd there. And yeah, that was the other thing, like why you guys mentioned, uh, Terry, Terry Ray. And I think it was around page 30 or so. Terry, Terry Ray, um, he was a material witness in the case and he was found dead just before he was going to testify. And on page 30 and 31, <clears throat> you talk about two people that really stand out to me. You talk about Eugene Dykes and Michael, um, uh, Larwick,
3: right? Michael so, McLarwick.
4: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, Michael Mc- McLarwick. So, actually, Eugene, here's what you write on page 30, 31. Eugene confesses to the involvement of the actual murders of Carrie, Julie, and Sylvina, and then he pulls it back. Right.
3: Yeah, because he could, because it's really, it which is hard to believe, is that they when they, read, they brought him to Stanislaus County and they and they interrogated him. Eugene Dykes, and it didn't roll any uh, audio or video recording during the um, interview.
2: And that's not yeah, normal, was, right? That, that's really not – that's unusual too, right, Stephen? Like that there would be no audio or video or – like that just another weird thing.
3: Yeah, I mean in this day and age, even back then, you know, I mean we used video cameras, you know, high-8 or whatever, but, yeah, you put right, a camera right. in front of the guy, yeah, absolutely. I mean that's protocol.
4: Okay, so how, how are how were how are those two guys connected to to Candler? Are they all part of this crankster group?
3: They are they they are. I can't I I was never able to, you know, say that, you know, these guys, you know hung out together this and that, because I don't have any evidence of all that. Just the overall picture of it. And with Rhonda Dunn's uh w- witnessing Candler with uh, uh Eugene Dykes and Kerry Stainer at uh, the Cedar Lodge, uh that, that's the main thing. What's also interesting is when I interviewed uh, Mayor Sabatino, RIP, great guy, excuse me. Mayor Sabatino Mm -hmm. was at the Cedar Lodge that that summer before, right around when was there. And Kerry Stainer had come to the door, and and Mayor Sabatino was in the bathroom, and his his wife or whatever was uh, in a hotel room. And um, they started coming in, and um, there was somebody else with him, and I can't get the idea on that guy, But when they saw Mayor Sabatino, uh, they took off. And Mayor Sabatino uh, identified Candler uh, coming to his hotel room that day. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, this
2: is crazy. Yeah, this is crazy.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
4: Yeah. Now, Dykes Dykes was – so he was – so he told the, the, the feds, um, Dykes told the, the feds that he, he was involved in this while he was high, whatever. He was really, really high. And then what, like a day later, he kind of re- retracts that, that story. And so all of that's done, even though you say that investigators found fibers that matching Julie's sure. son's body in Dykes cheap Cherokee in Mick's mm-hmm. court, court Corvette and on Dyke's shark's jacket. I mean, that seems pretty, uh, you know, that pretty con- conclusive, right?
2: To me, no, I, mean, I thought at, uh, at least I think in uh, the book, though, Greg. I think in the book, though, wasn't it Stephen? If I'm correct, and I could be maybe mixing two things up, but with those fibers, were they not trying to say that those fibers were common, like they were common in for the hotel rooms and all of that, or am I mixing up something else in the book? I do remember that they were trying to say that these fibers were more common than people thought.
3: You know, they 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 are, but also you know. um Fibers are almost like hair, so right. there is, there's there's a, there's a distinct um, identification on certain things, and a lot of pink blankets are are used in hotel rooms. And that's what the FBI told me later on was, oh, you know, there's nothing's conclusive because these these you know fibers are everywhere. But okay. uh, you know, the point is, the blanket did match the same exact blankets, the colors, the the, the making and, and serial numbers, basically if they had them for those that type of blanket came out of the Cedar Lodge.
2: Well, that's a oh, big that's deal a big then. Deal.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you also say here
4: on page thirty on thirty one that most of the the grand ju- most of the witnesses for this grand jury were tied to those two guys, to Dykes and his 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 half his half brother. Um, do you know uh, how how many witnesses that that there were? I mean, if if most of them were tied to it, it seems really odd that all of a sudden these guys were just kind of. I mean, they did end up going to jail on, on other charges later on, I think, right? But it had nothing to do with this with this case.
3: Yeah, during the during the probation parole sweeps, you know, and they had probable cause to go in there because they had search and seizure, and 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 they were their formal parole or probation is that mm-hmm. you know they found drugs and illegal weapons and everything. So everybody pretty much everybody that they they you know infiltrated or you know kicked the doors or what have you. Um, uh, went back to back to prison for violation of par- parole or probation.
4: Yeah, and uh, really, really,
3: most of this stuff happens. I, I really
4: think this is the where, where you're chasing Candler, where Candler ends up. And if you look on page 42 to page 43 of Stephen's book, um, in Walker County, Alabama, this is where everything really kind of blows up. Like you're right. you're chasing him there. How the heck you even found out that he was there or would get or would get there? Then we find out that Walker County, Alabama, is the hit capital of the whole of the whole country, and there's a 60-minute special on it. Um, that seemed pretty pretty weird. So obviously, I think you write this in the book too, but it really got me thinking: Was Candler part of a hit group, part of a hit squad? Um, and were were these three ladies? Were these three women? targeted was this not just some random thing why would anybody want to kill these these three people um, un, unless there was some type of a hit put out on them
2: right and I, what i want to say greg before Stephen answers too is that was the same 2020 interview if i'm not mistaken that you could find on youtube now but at one time they took that raid right off of it they pretty much tried to scratch that uh, whole uh video i guess you could say if i'm not mistaken
3: well, you know, you're close. The, the the Mariposa corruption video that was was posted back on YouTube after two years. Right. Uh, two, okay. Right. It's a different. It's a different. Um. Uh. Video. Uh. Of 2020 uh, going into Walker County. Just to just to clarify for the listeners, Walker County neighbors Jefferson County. So there was two jurisdictions we were dealing with. But Walker County, yeah, that's where the mob back in the day got their hitmen was out of Walker County. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, milit- the militia is still alive and well down there. And they even offer their services. I just didn't want, if, you know, when you're a bail bondsman and somebody jumps bond, you, you know, you need the body, you know, otherwise you don't get exonerated off the bond. And so right. uh, it's, it's a, it, 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 we befriended a bunch of peop- good people in Alabama and they offered their services. And I said, no, I don't want this guy dead or <laughs> somewhere. I somewhere. I need him back in <laughs> California. So But they they were they were fantastic. I mean it's really neat when you go back to a place like that and you get all this cooperation even from the citizens. So that was interesting.
4: Yeah, and and was there anyone okay, was there anyone else that was looking for Candler in that area that knew him? I guess you kinda you kind of basically just answered that was you know, that's why you wanted to get him out. When when you went into into Alabama, did you know that it was the hit the hit capital?
3: No, no. What happened was when we first flew back there that June fifth or so is uh we were parked across the street from the mobile home park in Summerton where uh uh Barbara Dobbins, the girlfriend was working as a salesperson is that we parked at it was an old abandoned gas station as far as the pumps were, and it was now like a uh, like a little feed store and they sold like bird food and, and and we parked in the you know in between the stalls and or the um gas pumps and the guy named remember, Lavelle, Lavelle Edwards great guy, and he came out and he came out with a shotgun and asked what we were doing there you know and then we explained it. And uh, he he said, you know, I noticed that car, you know, a month ago. And you know, they noticed California plates in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And he knew he watched he saw that guy Candler. He identified him for us. But he's the one who said, hey, you know, if you guys need help, you know, and I'm like, no, we don't. But good old guy, he you know, he totally he he bought the gas station after World War II and raised his family on it. Just a good good American, good patriot guy. And um, he's the one that, that gave us some information also.
4: Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I know on page, page 46, you said that you were pulled over. You guys were, uh, UN and Rick, Rick James. Um, right. you, you guys were, um, pulled over by this cop. The cop had pulled you over for speeding in a school zone, but do you really think he pulled you over for that? I mean, he kind of, he, cause he makes it clear that he knew who, who you were. That was deputy Bates on page 46. He,
3: he, he, you know, he did and he cut us loose. I mean, cause we, we were, you know, Barbara, we, we got on a Barbara's tail down the highway into Warrior, Alabama. I mean, her speed picked up and, and we followed her. She got her, like something out of a little stop and rob gas station thing and, and grabbed, you know, cigarettes of coke or whatever. And she took off like a bat out of hell and we were trying to keep up with her. And that's the we got pulled over. Um, I'm not, not so sure about that then, Greg. Uh, what I think is that, um, we explained it well enough and we showed him the paperwork and he cut us loose. So I'm not so sure he, this, this deputy street cop knew really what we were doing, but they were, they were, they were totally cooperative. It was fantastic.
4: Yeah, because you end up on page forty-nine, you end up calling Bill Bill Carson. I don't know if you guys have talked about who who Bill Carson is yet, um, but you told him that that you found Candler in Warrior, Alabama, Alabama. and um, I don't want to kind of spoil it, but Bill Carson was kind of your guys' boss. Who who was he as far as the bounty hunting and all that?
3: Oh, he was a deputy Bail DA. With, he's a deputy DA in Tallmead County.
4: Okay, so he yeah. put out this thing, and you guys um, went and got the bond or how does how did that work
3: well what happened was i already had the forfeiture the bail bond there was already a warrant in bail bonds you got a forfeiture and if you move over to the law enforcement side it's basically a warrant you you don't show for court so you have the law enforcement the bail bonds and we're notified and um you know i debriefed his detectives in my house in Murphy's before i left he knew we were going back there um so when i called him it was a saturday and um he was out golfing like i told rick and then he changed the NCIC. I mean, I, we had a discussion, but he changed it to the NCIC nationally, not the seven western states. So now, you know, all of a sudden the deputies have our wanted poster, which Bar- Agent Barnes, the FBI, told us to get rid of. Now the, the deputies now have my wanted poster in their back pocket. So you know, that just doesn't happen, you know, um, and that that's how that, that's how that worked out.
4: Yeah, so you guys talked about that flyer. I'm so glad that you guys brought that up because I was like, man, because the the flyer is so interesting. First of all, I want to know: do you still have a copy of of that flyer? If not, could you recreate <laughs> what that flyer would actually look like now? Um, what prompted you to do to create that flyer? It sounds like you kind of covered that, where you said, "This is what you norm. This is what you actually do." Right. Somehow that flyer ends up in the the local deputies, they all end up getting a copy of of that flyer. They all know who who you guys are. They
2: have flyers that they're carrying. That was, that their, was one of that was one of my okay. questions, Greg. That was actually oh, one of sorry. my. Sorry, no, that's great. That, that I don't mind at all. That was one of my questions: was does he still have a copy of that flyer? Because <laughs> I wanted to see that. Well,
3: flyer. Yeah. I do, I don't. But you know what? Like, yeah, I can. Re- I'm sure I can recreate it. The biggest thing was the FBI. Uh, they got a they got a my my rear. Uh, because I said wanted for questioning and they, they were hounding me. I said, didn't say wanted by questioning by who, I, I mean, I want to, I like questioning anyway. So I kind of like, it kind of leads people along a little bit, but I never said by who was, you know, I, I just need this body. So, and I think we offered a $750 reward.
4: Okay. Yeah, because on, on page page 55, you you talk about Special Agent Barnes in the Sacramento FBI office tells you to stop passing out these these flyers. Are they telling you that because they don't want you because you're making the tie between Candler and the Yosemite sightseer murders? Is is that why they tell you sure. not to? Okay. I mean,
3: abs, it, abs, abs, no no doubt. Abs, you know, the first remember, Greg, they first ignore my 18 page report to the task force. Then I have right. to call. I call Carrington's attorney, Mr. Angel. Mr. Carrington calls me an hour later. And then, of course, I like to the book. But I went up to the Eureka a few days later, met with Mr. Carrington and took the case, you know, never charged him a dime. And, you know, said, I can do this case. I want this case. You know, and I mean, you know, this was my second. We'll get into this later. But this is my second dance with Mariposa. You know, they set me up as a bounty before, tried to throw me in jail. We know for sure they were probably going to hit me. And um, that, that's how I got into Mariposa. You know, four years later, I'm, I'm back in Mariposa, the biggest uh, murder case in the nation. Um, so, they, you know, they knew who I was. And, and, you know, they worried about getting the black eye. And, you know, there's, there's egos in law enforcement. They're all A-type people. I get it. But I'm just trying to do my job. And, you know, they couldn't stop me legally, but they could make it make it hard. And, oh, but I, sure.
2: yeah, they could definitely make it hard for you and, and yeah. I, I I have to I, I found that shocking in the book too stephen when when because you did have trouble in Mariposa County once already, and you you do stay in the book that you were kind of nervous going back in to that county and starting to go back in there and investigate because of the, what happened the first time
3: you know what I, I don't there's nobody's been through what I've been through in that county I mean' I'm sure it's happened to ex cop p i guys you know, you know there's jurisdiction somewhere in the United states but you know, I, I remember going up and meeting with the D.A. and the deputy D.A. with my attorney. Both of, I hired two attorneys when I got in trouble, one local and one out of San Francisco. And my San Francisco guy said, make sure you got a local guy. He, he, was, he was a circuit judge up, up there and did some things. Um, and, uh, Ken Ballard, great guy. Larry, Larry Murray is my other uh, guy in San Francisco. But um, I remember how they were reaming me, calling me a bully and uh, going in their county, I'm a bully. I'm, a, I'm the bully. I'm just trying to find this guy. But every time I went to Mariposa looking for the, the, the guy, Cliff Watkins, earlier than the somebody case, they would call his house and warn him and everything. And, then and, you know, and it's later on, you'll, you, people will read that. You know, I, I ended up finding Cliff Watkins and how he was telling me about where Mariposa was hiding the drugs. And it leads to a whole other thing later, guys. And recently some pretty heavy stuff from Mariposa. And we're talking, you know, 22 years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they put roadblocks in front of me. But, you know, I, I use the power of the law to get through things.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people can, can find a lot of that good stuff if they look on page 104 and page one, page 105. There's a lot of uh, stuff that you just kind of mentioned there about what's, what's happening there. Um, did, um, as far as Mr. Carrington, Francis Carrington, what is his relationship to Carol and Julie's son? Uh,
3: Carol's father, Julie's grandfather.
4: Okay, and isn't it? It's it's kind of strange. I always thought that it was strange that he um and, and he actually mentioned this to you when when he called you that he owned a shopping center in Fultondale, Alabama, uh, which is close to where Candler uh, where, where Candler was found.
3: You know, I never questioned any motives or any anything, but um after I caught Candler's when I contacted. The Carringtons, and he, because he he knew the chief of police there, which I thought, whoa, right, okay, right. he's a, he's yeah, in Eureka, man. California. This is a small town in Alabama, and um, he said, yo, I, I own a, a strip mall in Foley, Alabama. And I thought this is really strange. What what's happenstance to have the guy I'm chasing uh, from the, the possibly killed his family in you know in in, in Silvino Peloso, that he ends up in Fultondale. Dale. hit Capital of the World right there and, uh, from, for, uh, you know, higher for hits. Um, and there was things that came up, you know, that did he owe money to somebody? Was it, was it more than just, uh, just a, you know, random kidnapping and murder? You know, you know, did they follow these people there? Um, you know, the you know, Mr. Carrington at one time, we, we, we became very close. He was worth three, $385 million. Okay. And his grandfather found Santa Rosa, California. So he, you know, you know, you think of the Carringtons with dynasty and stuff. It's kind of almost the same, the same kind of money and influence in Northern California. Mister Carrington was a very big player. Wow. Yeah. So that's yeah, one that's of, some of the questions.
2: Yeah. yeah, that is crazy stuff. Like it, it just goes so deep when you start getting into this and you're you're asking great questions greg like i've just i got a sheet of questions here and i'm just checking them off as i go because you're hitting everything that i was a couple that i didn't think of which i thought were great so you're doing great uh greg i want to thank you because you're asking a lot of questions that i had for the second hour so if you have any more go ahead yeah, I got just a, just a couple more. Um, Perfect. On page, on page 60, there's a
4: gentleman named Orb, Orb Hatton. Um, now I know later on in the book, um, there's a, an, an exchange that happens between Orb Hatton and Paul Candler, because a lot of my focus in this book is about Paul, Paul Candler. You know, that's what I really think this book really is. Like, there's something wrong with this guy, but, um, uh, his, he was basically saying I think what Barbara had had told you is that this all goes back to Orb Orb Hatton. Um that that Orb uh, or that Paul um Paul and Barbara kind of thought that you were down there to help Orb Orb Hatton. Can you explain a little bit about who Orb Hatton is?
3: Or Orb Hatton was a retired a narcotics cop at a modesto PD. And he owned a real estate agency in uh in, Lake, in Lake Don Pedro in Tuolumne County. And the reason I bailed out Candler was because, uh, Candler showed up at the real estate office and told the secretary, or, or secretary that he wanted to see Orb. He was going to kill him. And, you know, <laughs> Orb being the macho cop, ex former cop, he flew on up there and, uh, they were going to meet at Chinese Camp, which is a little, it's always like highway, part of Highway 49 going out of, uh, Tuolumne County, Sonora. And, um, uh, they got in a little chase. And Candler jumped out with with a nine millimeter and pointed at Orb. Orb jumped out with his gun. Candler got back in his little truck and took off. He rolled the truck. His 10-year-old son was in the car who got hurt, and he was drunk. And uh, that's the reason for the bond, which I didn't know was until Orb hadn't when I researched it, I got a hold of him. And I checked him out. I checked him out with a good friend of mine who was a retired lieutenant and a canine guy at a modesto named uh, Ron Cloward. And Ron, he, he called Orb a great guy and everything, but – Orb Hatton was a juvenile officer, detective in Modesto, and there was ties and there was questions. You know, he had, he had a business. He was involved in a strip joint. You know, 17 years later, I'd met a guy at a hotel one time talking to him who was actually under the thumb of Orb Hatton as a juvenile uh, officer, and he had some suspicious things. And I'm not going to try to, you know, Orb's I, I know Orb, I, I got no problem with Orb, but about four years ago, actually, no, it's longer than that, I'd say six years ago, Orb was indicted for some child porn stuff. And this was right around when his, Orb's son was arrested for child porn stuff. And what's interesting is it was, a, it was, it was he lives in um, uh, Coulterville, which is Mariposa County, but it ended up being a Stanislaus County case, which it's out of jurisdiction. So I think Orb was set up, maybe his son might was, but Orb was uh, a juvenile officer and knew about Candler from before. And believe it or not, orbs told me that Candler had kind of got leading to that well under orbs orb's uh, eye his watch that Candler had been molested okay now this is kind of like okay, this is getting a little too deep but um there's there's a lot of connections there. I think orb kind of got screwed um but there's some other things i found out since then that kind of questioned a lot of this around the Candler orb thing. And this is very recently. I mean, it just, just popped up. One one just popped up last week to me, which I don't want to talk about on the air. Yeah. But, um, it is something really, yeah, it, uh, it's, it's really screwy. I mean, the, the case, the case is still, the case still plays and I get calls from my book or whatever. I mean, I had a uh, candler's daughter call me and tell me things. Really? And I'm like, wow. Okay. Yeah,
2: for sure. Like, yeah, what was that exactly. conversation? Can you let us know what that conversation was a little bit about, or would you want Okay, I understand. I don't
3: want to say it because it's 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 pretty tender. Okay, I understand. So I, I learned no. a lot of information, and 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 his daughter thanked me for for um exposing what her father was really like. Wow, wow. that's that's yeah. all I'm going to say.
4: Yeah. Yeah, that's really huge. Um, it, yeah, it, it, it is.
3: Yeah, that's huge. Like, I
2: mean, that's what I mean, Greg, like and, and Stephen, the, the deeper you, you just keep digging and digging and digging. And as yeah. you were saying, Stephen, even after all these years, it's there's still stuff there.
3: Like, yeah, it's, it's like it's like putting sex in books or something. You know what? You, 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 you should be able to sell your, your book without sex and drugs. Or, you know, I mean, if it's a good story and, and, and even if I rewrote the book or a second edition, there's things I know I would never put in there. Well, you know, know, it's not about the money. It's, like I said, I wrote the book for my my legacy. My daughter gets older and I got grandkids that, you know, grandpa was a pretty good guy. Um, so it was about telling the truth, but you know what? Too few words can wreck somebody's life, you know? So I really, for sure, for sure. Uh, you know, if anybody calls me or talks to me about certain things, I, you know, I trust you guys, but there's, it's, yeah, it still plays. Um, And it's sad. You know, I mean, you you think these are the good guys and the bad guys. But as far as my relationship with Orb, he's the one who maybe saved my life. Because Mm -hmm. I met with him before when Candler skipped. I found out who he was and and all that. And I met with him over in uh, Jamestown in Tuolumne County. And we had a pizza and a beer. And he told me the first thing. Because he was involved in that Mariposa 2020 video where uh, Mariposa killed uh, Deputy Van Meter. He's the guy with the horse there. He was placed undercover when the new sheriff came in to Mariposa to clean up the drug activity by the cops, and wanted to reopen the uh, Ron Van Meter murder because Ron was murdered in on, on Lake McClure. We know that. He was yeah, for sure. Home. I agree. But yeah, and so <laughs> for sure. On that. But Orb told me he was alive because he, he, he got some uh, juice behind him, such as the press, and that's why I reached out to Mike Mooney, the Modesto B. So once you get a newspaper guy behind you. You, you, you're probably a little safer, and Orb was that—that was his recommendation, which I, I thank him forever for.
2: I think that was life-saving information, in my opinion, Stephen, that he gave you to yeah. get the the paper behind you and yeah. stuff like that. And that's—I'll have to get you on for another show, like for sure, just to talk about the whole Mariposa County thing. All that's right. another—that's another whole show that we could just talk about what was going on there and and what all happened there. It's—it's it's crazy. It—it it, 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 it is so wrong you know it is it uh, is
3: it just, it just isn't right you know and there's not there's nothing a good cop hates worse than a dirty cop you know right yeah. speaking so speaking of that,
4: that you 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 wrote that uh the his death the death of deputy Ron Van Van Meter actually led back to the the MCA cor- cor- corporation uh the largest concessionary sure. of the Yosemite National Park so there's it, a little yeah. There's some weird things there, too. So, yeah, I think doing a whole show on that, just on those few pages, man, you guys could do a whole show. (laughs) I agree. And
2: that's that's what I was saying to Stephen, if you heard at the beginning, Greg, was I was asking about the David Politis and the 411. Yes, I uh, love that you guys brought that up. Yeah, like, I mean, how much are these disappearances? I'm not saying they all are. Of course, people go missing in the wild all the time, whatnot. But how much of that could be involved with what? We're uncovering here. Right. Like, I mean, it's just it's just a question, but I think it's a good question. Yeah, I've got to be honest with you, Rick.
4: I've read this book seven times now. And until you said that in the show, it never clicked that there might be some 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 connection between those two things. But, yeah, you're right. So yep. it definitely got me thinking, and I, I'm glad that Stephen has been following him, too, and actually – Yeah, that's and, uh, really cool. Yeah, that's cool. That's pretty yeah, cool.
3: Yeah, no, I was going to do a show with Eddie Barbini out of Discovery. My, he, was, he was the executive producer at L.A. Discovery and wanted to do a show on, um like, 411, but, in the, you know, I, and I got a hold of David, and he was a good guy. Like I said, I emailed him, but he's he is the expert on the national park. You know, they got the UFO theories and all that kind of stuff. The bottom line is, is that the drug trade – uh, is is what's pretty much running everything, and then like with George Cleese from CABDEF, who's my friend, uh, he's the one he put stuff in there. I didn't even want to, you know, on his uh, site website uh, that that's the power brokers. I mean, every major country has a huge illegal drug trade. Okay, mm-hmm. we do, Afghanistan. I mean, there, you know, there's so that's what it, what it comes to, and you know, um, in the cash and everything else. But um, it's. Uh, it's, it's how it rolls. I, you know, you hate to say that, but it's it's all about the drugs.
4: Yeah, I think there's so many great scenes in your in your book that are meant for film. Um, obviously, the very last scene, which I'm not going to spoil. You guys didn't really get there yet, so I'm not going to bring that up. But um, there was a, a and the whole orb orb hatton scene where Candler <laughs> points a gun at him and and yeah. ends up leaving and flips his car. I didn't really. I, I, I should have known that because I read the book. So, yeah, the sun was, was in there. But aside from yeah, that, it sure it's was. a pretty visual scene there. But, but you know, I think – yeah, go yeah. ahead.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. You know, the, thing, the main thing was when I bailed them out, there was no – child. That the sun broke his finger in the – in the rollo- it was kind of a rollover thing. And they never charged Candler being drunk for child endangerment also. They never charged him. Yeah, I him.
2: found that really weird, Stephen, when I read yeah. that.
3: Like why would sure. they not
2: – like that's – you'd think that would be the first charger, one of them. Yeah. Like <laughs> – Why no child endangerment? You're right. I I think on... on
4: um, on page six, on page sixty-nine, where you catch Cameron, I mean, and I'm glad you guys covered that too, because that is a big, big scene. I always wondered why it was you out in the in the front. Shouldn't the cops have been out there? Exactly. How does, how does that work? Why? Why were? I mean, I'm glad you were there, but I mean, you, I, I think you kind of broke that down. There were a couple rookie cops. Yeah, where... they
2: stick they stick poor Stephen <laughs> with a couple of rookies and send Stephen yeah. in, like, They're They're like hey, Stephen, go. Stephen <laughs> is their... There. there their Their <laughs> human shield or something
4: like that, but um I was like, oh yeah, there's cops there too why, why is Steven there and then Steven wrestles with this with this guy, obviously you know as i'm visu- as I'm reading this on page sixty nine of Steven's book, and I'm visualizing this, I am like, too. this is great stuff here. this is movie made stuff
3: well, you know what i, I the, Rick and I volunteered to be the entry guys and and they were fine with that you know we when you go back there or anywhere, with, when, when, you, when you have a bounty. And you want to make good with the cops because now you're in the private sector. And, you know, that, that bounty made me more than a cop would make in a half a year back then. I mean, literally. Um, is that you take responsibility for, for your bounty, you know, and they like that. I mean, as long as they got backup guys that are, you know, uh, experienced. But, you know, when Rick went down to get the key because it didn't fit, you know, it, it, I was hanging it out in the wind. <laughs> but right. I, what am <laughs> I going to do? I'm, I'm stuck. So what, what happened happened. And I'm glad it happened that way. Nobody was hurt.
4: Oh, exactly right do you do you, yeah, but do you think they would allow that in this day and age now today? I feel like they wouldn't risk that for legal reasons or something,
3: yeah, no they don't you know, yeah, we found that over the years, you about know, had it for about fifteen years is that as time went on at uh, jurisdictions, uh either they go in or you go in, they don't go in with you because. They don't know how you're trained and everything. And like I said, when you, when you bail somebody out of jail and you got to chase them, you're bailing them out for the armed oh, robbery, the same thing the cops rolled up on the liquor store and it was guns and this and that. Now you're going after a guy that knows he's running, he knows he's got a, a beef against him, and he's prepared, and his family's hiding him out. So it makes it so much more dangerous, okay? So they know they skip bonds. It's like when you, your car's getting repossessed. You know you didn't pay pay, pay the uh, you know your, your payments. So it's no surprise and um, that's what happens. You just, you know, you expect that they expect you. You know.
4: Right. Yeah. yeah I've only what, got Rick, I've only got one, one more thing, and, and then I'll shut, shut my mouth here if you don't. Oh
2: no. Yeah. Not a problem. I just, yeah. Once we're done that, I definitely want to ask uh, Stephen to let us know about his new business that he's uh, got going on. So yeah, go ahead and ask your question, Greg. And then as long as we end it around quarter two, then I can uh, let Stephen tell us about his new business, and we can wrap up the show, and definitely yeah. have him back on again because there's still so much more to cover. So I'm hoping Stephen will come on maybe in a month or so and continue this amazing interview. Yes, yeah, so you guys talk about on page
4: on 72, and I'm glad you guys both talked about it, that you did get somewhat of a confession from Candler. For, by Candler saying that he felt bad for these for these girls, yeah. is that a confession – that he was somehow involved in it or at least knew who the, who the people were that actually may have killed um, Carol, Julie, and Sil, Silvina?
3: I would say it's a confession, but it, it sure guides you that way. I mean, you know, like like I said in the PI business, you know, uh, people say too much, you know. Sometimes it's out of nervousness or sometimes it's, you know, guilt, but um, people people talk too much, and that's how you make cases. And with what, everything going on, it might have been a little ego thing, like, hey, you know, maybe I was involved or not. Um, but it's definitely, in, in our eyes as investigators, it's it's pretty good to go. You know, maybe you don't have the evidence or something, but you can move on from there. And like my partner said, as long as you got people that are going to talk to you, the investigation keeps going, which is some of the best advice I ever had.
4: Yeah, and Kenner, yeah. Kenner did – Somebody was pre- protecting him. He did 30, 30 days. That was it. He threatened to kill his own his own mom. We know he burned his sister's house down. He actually attacked your friend Rick James too. I love that video that you put out. It's like a nine-minute video of Rick, Rick, Rick James, and it's kind of a tribute to him. It looks like you actually may have created that video, um, and it shows your guys' show – the Bounty Hunter show, which um, which oh, I was fascinated right. by, I haven't heard that much about. I was That's watching that. I,
2: I, I was watching those last night, actually, when you pointed those out to me, Greg. I was watching those.
3: Yeah. I I, I, I I when he passed away, it was it was sad. So I, you know, what, what's what's kind of neat is that because of the show, we have all this footage, and I took it off of YouTube and. Um, and it's all was shot on the Sony 200. It's really grainy. So I put a tribute together. And those are, you know, what you see us is really we're in Las Vegas and doing all these other things. Um, I was able to have, you know, current, you know, there's a man in his older age, uh, on on video from the show. And the Bounty Hunter show was a great two-year run. Um, and we went all over the place. But um, yeah, it was it was kind of neat. I'm glad you guys watched it. Yeah, I, I edit I edit everything I do. Is
4: is there somewhere people can watch this show if, if we want to watch both seasons? You know?
3: No. You know what yeah. happened was is that uh, the show went into – the first season I was a talent. I was on, like, maybe 22 – I don't know, 20 episodes. It's usually 23 episodes in a season. And the second year I put in for um, field producers, so I started running all the interviews and the PR. I, I went on the Morty Povich show. They flew me in New York. I did radio things. And – um you so were on Maury? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I was on Maury. I'll tell you about that later. It was, kind of, okay. it was kind of different. Um, but um that this it was the first time that anybody ever had a show about bounty hunters. This is before the dog. And um I even got I even got some interesting emails, you know, guys saying, Hey man, you're you know giving away trade secrets or it's just a bounty, he was chasing some guy, it was no secret, you know. So right, I took, right. I took some heat on it, but what I did with the show, guys, and Greg knows this. Rick, is that um, I took the show and used it for a good purpose. I went to the California Bail Association and spoke at the yearly convention and um, because I had the power of television, okay? And so I, ch- I changed everybody, everybody's views on it. And we had about, I don't know, I think like, a, like 80 seconds or something between, uh, it was an hour show and between the halves. And um, I said, hey, let's use it for the most wanted bail jumpers. And so once I did that, guys were contact, I was a good guy. So we, 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 go ahead and, um, post up the most, wet, but one of bail jump riders, Let's say Tennessee. And you know, they caught a couple of these guys because of the show, which was kind of neat. So I had control of the show. I was even at the sale of the show, but it ran its course. And then, um, Dan Quaylor, my guy got me into the show. He just died. He just passed away a couple of years ago in Texas. Best bounty hunter ever knew. And, um, his, his family kind of got a hold of all of that. You don't find a lot of it on there, but you can look up bounty hunters on YouTube. But they gotta look under Dan Coylar, uh C E U C U E L L A R. And um they have most of the there's a lot of library up on uh YouTube under his name.
2: Very cool. Yeah, very cool. wish yeah, I wish definitely wish there was a place to see those to see those episodes because I was like I yeah. Greg told me about those the videos on YouTube and I was like, I didn't even know that he had those on there, so I was definitely checking those out. But but while we're wrapping up here, Steve, I did want to give you a chance to let everyone know about your new business and what it's all about, the name of it and that, because I think that we were talking about this when we did the uh, video interview for my YouTube channel, and uh, when you told me the business that you're doing now, I think it's a business that is very needed, and I was telling Greg about it too when I got off the call with you uh, when we did our video interview, and I I told Greg, I said, I think this is something that – is needed, and I'm really interested in – I think it's great that you're doing it. So can you let people know about your business, the name, and what it's all about?
3: Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I started a business which uh, is called Secret Squirrel, uh, and if you look it up and if you want to go ahead and um, uh, type in it, Secret Squirrel 007, we have the domain name, which was amazing, is that a few years ago when I had Eyes on Me – I think you've seen some of the stuff – and I, like I said, uh, I, I noticed that things were changing after I did the first podcast with uh, Ed Opperman on the Opperman Report in 2017. And I did the second one. Things just were, I think, you know, I knew I had somebody watching me. And I know it's had to be Mariposa. Here I am all of a sudden, first time in, you know, seven or eight years talking about the book. And so um, I was in a hotel room one day, and, and I was visiting my daughter, and I was there a couple of days. And things were I just, I just looked around. I found two cameras in my hotel room. And one was in a clock, one was in a, in a um, uh, carbon monoxide fire alarm up top, and there's other things that went around that. And so I said, this is a problem. So I started researching it, and this spy camera epidemic, which it is, has become – It's you know, spy cameras are like the sixth largest seller on Amazon now. You can get an IP address on a 1080 spy camera you can't even see uh, in the corner of a room for $79. You know, that's scary. It, that is so it, scary. It, 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 it is. I mean, you know. It, it, and so I put I built a website, secretscroll007.com, and so uh, yeah, off and running. We've done about thirty uh, searches in the last year, and from schools to hotel rooms, uh, I did a yacht. Uh, done, I've done a car, believe it or not, twice. The guy didn't believe it. I couldn't find anything, but we have the equipment to detect spy cameras and audio devices through RF, VHF, uh, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi. And so um, we go out to businesses and um, and such. And if they feel they're being watched, we go ahead and we go ahead and scan uh, the business with our equipment and try to find the cameras.
2: That yeah, that's amazing. I think this is something that, especially moving into the future, like you were saying, Stephen, with the house, it's amazing how small cameras. Like I'm from the eight like 80s, and I remember how big cameras were. And I don't think a lot of younger people realize how big cameras were back then and clunky Mm -hmm. and you had to stick film in them. And now everybody's got a camera because they got a phone. And Mm -hmm. now, as you were saying on on Amazon, it's amazing how small the cameras are getting. And that's just the ones that you can buy in like on Amazon. So God knows what the government has or any Mm -hmm. of the big agencies. So I definitely think this is something that's needed. Uh, your business is needed because I think that I don't think people realize that how easy it is for them, like if they're in a hotel room or anywhere, that they can have cameras on them. And I think it's something that people should be aware of. And I don't think a lot of people are.
3: You know, it's, you know, what's interesting is as I market this thing is because it's a younger generation, they're very techno. Is they're all aware of it. Every time I approach, like I, I went to a C21 one um a meeting, and I spoke before about five agents and you know like Century 21 they they do a lot of property management also they just don't sell houses and stuff and uh they haven't bought into it yet and um but the sorority, the sorority in san diego has and uh you speak before that the kids dad daddy mommy and daddy are putting them through college you know and i looked at it as a father my daughter just graduated from san diego state is that yeah you know what let's get these guys in there make sure my daughter's safe scan the room for 200 bucks you know and um Make sure it's clean, and then, you know, unless they let somebody in or some later on, but at least you clean the room. You sweep the room, called bug sweeps, and it's a peace of mind for the parents and everything because the right of privacy, we're losing that, guys. Oh, for
2: sure, yeah. I think that's been gone for years. I think that's been gone, and what I was thinking when you told me about your business, Stephen, is that – The business I can see like where you got to be really careful is that this is something that I could see like especially when it comes to hotel rooms or in dorms or anything is you know that the porn business like I mean you hear stories about these hidden cameras found in bathrooms and and uh, change rooms and all of that. And Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that's really scary and I think people should be Mm -hmm. aware of it you know like. Oh
3: Absolutely. You know, matter of fact, on if you look at the website double secretscroll secretscroll007.com dot com, uh it links to Facebook. Is I I I um I post all these incidents every day. And you know, I go to Google Alerts, they warn me. Camera found here in New Hampshire, whatever. I post those. Um but it's and more and more every day. But what's interesting when COVID when COVID hit last year, guys. Uh, I had no Google Alerts because no one was going out, and people were off work, and so these guys aren't putting cameras in there and such. But, um, yeah, you got a camera. You put it in the bathroom at Starbucks. You it in a parking lot. It's Bluetooth to your phone, and then you upload it to, like, Pornhub. Now, Pornhub just got in trouble. Uh, it popped up because they were posting uh, indecency videos uh, of, of privacy. Um, and these sickles even good as far as putting them in the toilets, okay? That's how far it's gone. And so a lot of the illegal porn is driven by amateur porn video in bathrooms, hotel rooms, or whatever. And right, they, right. They, they stream it up there, and these guys pay so much a month or so much to see it, and then it's taken down. It's very hard to track. And that's what they're doing. The point the porn, – you're exactly right, uh, Rick, is that the porn industry has driven this because these guys get money for it.
2: Right, um, yeah, and that's that's a that's scary, scary. – that is what's a scary thing, especially if you have children or whatever. And they're, and as you said, they're putting them in bathrooms and God knows where they could put them anywhere. Oh, yeah. They're so small. And what do you think, Greg? Like, I, I remember telling you about that. You didn't realize that Stephen had this. Well, no, you kind of did actually. I understand I correctly. You did kind of hear about his business because you were the one that told me the uh, 007 part because I forgot. But what do you think? Like, do you think this is a, a business that is needed out there with the way technology is going and stuff?
4: Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's so many different avenues too um when you when you think about just like family, especially like elder elder family, I have a lot of um elderly family that we're like looking for for things um to kind of help them out with. Just, you know, certain, certain things, not necessarily like sweeping sweeping houses and and stuff like that to make sure that, you know, nobody's putting any cameras in there. Um, but just some, some of the, some of the basic camera stuff and like Steven's, t- Steven takes it to, to a whole new level where I've, I've actually even considered hiring him my, myself to come out here and make sure nobody <laughs> has any, any, any hidden, hidden cameras here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah you just yeah. cuz you just never really really know but you have to be serious and you have to make sure you know you don't want to be paranoid but um I think if you are going to hire somebody to to do that definitely Stephen would be the the perfect person for that you can, we can you can see that he has the knowledge the background skills and, and, and everything. So definitely, you know, if I'm, he would be the first person that I would hire or the first person that I would um, actually recommend that website is awesome. We could do a whole, a whole show just on those, like those news stories. Cause when I look at right. those news stories on your site, Stephen, I'm like, wow, this is cra-. And this is just the stuff that, that we know about. This doesn't cover all the stuff that is happening out
2: there that nobody oh.
3: has caught yet. You know what? The, now, the experts, you know who they are, but whatever. But um, for every camera that's found, there's 100 out there that aren't. That's a fact.
2: That's scary. That's scary yeah. when you think about that. Exactly. Wow. But, yeah, so I see that we're getting close to the top of the hour here, guys. So go ahead, Greg. Let everyone know where they can find you on YouTube. I'll let you just a couple minutes here, and then we'll say goodbye to Stephen Zanziri, uh, Zanziri. I'll tell everybody about his book again. And I'm, trying to get, I'm going to try to get the end of this show a little bit more on time this time. So go ahead, Greg. Let everybody know where they can find you, buddy. Yeah, if you just Google
4: Greg Fernandez Jr. Uh, or Google The Grace, Grace Stage, all the stuff that I do, everything that
2: I'm working on will definitely come up. Perfect, perfect. And I want to thank you so much, Stephen Zanziri for coming on and talking about this book, it's an amazing book, and I do recommend it, guys, if if you want a great read and to really dive into what uh, this gentleman went through and what he stumbled upon. And as I was saying earlier, we haven't really got even through the whole story. So I'm hoping, Stephen, that you will come back maybe in a month or so or, and we sure. can continue this where it left off because uh, I think it would be amazing to continue uh, just talking about what's in this book because it just keeps going. And and then I would love I love to do a show on the Mariposa Mariposa County. I hope I'm saying that wrong. I always say it wrong, but Mariposa County. I hope we can uh, touch into because that, that's another whole thing that uh, we could talk about. So I really want to thank you for uh, taking the time to come and talk to me and and join in the crypt here and telling everybody about your book and your you know stories in your life. It's amazing, great stuff.
3: Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. You know, I mean, it's not like I said, it's not just about selling books, but people know the story out there, and we'll get into Mariposa later on. And, and there's there's recent activities with the murdered, you know, attorney for the Jerry Cox thing, and that leads right to the uh, murder of um, Judge Salas' son in uh, New Jersey when she took on the Epstein accounting part of the uh, a case. You know, wow. and so it's really, it, it
2: just keeps going. You know, it, it does. That's what that's what I keep thinking. And then when I, it's true. It just keeps going. That's the greatest way to put it. And that's why I enjoyed the book so much. And and uh, I'm like I said, I'm reading it again. And I'm sure I'll have more questions, and I'm sure even Greg will have more questions when we get you back on here, because it's just such an interesting story, and I really recommend it. I just want to let everybody know the name of the book, just so you can, you can get a read on Amazon. That's where I ordered it from, and it's called Ultimate Prey by Steven Sanziri, and it's the true story behind the Yosemite Sightseer uh, murders. And that is definitely a book you want to check out, and you can get it on Amazon, and it's a great read. Thank you. All right, well, thank you, guys, and uh, thank you, everyone, for joining me for another episode of Crypt Ricks. I've been thinking, and don't forget, this is all listener-supported, so please, if you can, donate and help it along, so we have these great uh, shows coming up every hour, or every couple hours, anyways. So take care, guys. I want to thank Greg Fitzgerald Jr. and Steve Fitzgerald. Thank you, guys. Thank you.
0: Radio. This is Thomas, a.k.a. a Mad Painter. I'd like you to join me Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Open Canvas. Don't forget to bring an open mind. Yes, folks, that's right. Bring an open mind to an open canvas. Again, that is Monday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern. UFOs, opposed government corruption. This is Revolution Radio, freedomslips.com. You don't need to expect us. We're already here.
1: I am Bill Johnson. Some consider my efforts to be an underground law school. I am not an attorney and I do not give legal advice. I teach. That's lawful and legal. Consider yourself served. You are to appear Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, Studio A.